the bonus podcast i'm Gemma. i'm michael and today we're talking about the second half of the 90s at last on coronation street <laughs> 1995 to 1999 we have finally reached the millennium in our dvd and um otherwise acquired episodes of youtube well and other media <laughs> i don't even know what i'm saying i'm we're just trying to i'm sounding really dodgy with this we've um got the dvds so you can buy those they're 80 episodes per decade yes and we have watched those and we've also watched some additional episodes that were available to us for various important plot points that we can understand what was going on we've watched loads so that's why it's, that's one of the reasons why it's been taking so long because it was back in february i think that we first did or that we did the first half of the 90s and back last year we were getting through them at quite a pace weren't we it was like every seven eight nine weeks maybe we'd um we'd have a new sort of five-year slots to discuss but this has certainly been our longest one yet where we're going from 1995 to 1999 and there's an awful lot to discuss i think i mean back in the olden days well, last year, <laughs> we were only watching the DVD ones, weren't we? So it was literally like um, eight episodes a year. And now it's, you know, you know, double that sometimes. So it's taking longer. But there's there's higher episode counts. There's, you know, where we are at the moment, there's four episodes a week going on. And although we're not even, you know, coming close to watching all of them by any means, like months can go past, can't they, without some episodes, we're feeling that there's more key episodes that we have to see so i hope this is worth the wait and um it's been funny because during the time that this has been uh, we've been kind of preparing for this the itv3 episodes have been caught up with and overtaken by us so um some of you who are watching along with itv3 at the moment will recognize some of what we talk about um in today's episode and there will be some spoilers for what's coming up over the next uh, year or so as well so recording this at the end of june Yes. And I don't know where you are. Where do you think you are in? We're we're, we're like October maybe. Yeah, we're October what, we're, of what year, darling? 19, uh, 1998, sorry. So there's there's about a year's worth extra. Yeah, we're up, even though we were um, releasing this episode probably kind of mid-ish July, we're recording it end of June because we've just finished watching the last episode that we wanted to watch in 1999 we thought we'd get it out while it's still fresh in our heads because even like going back to some of the stuff in 1995 just reading through the notes it did feel like a long time ago since we watched it didn't it oh god Raquel was still in it back in the beginning of this era it's crazy I say this almost every single time we record a bit about um, Coronation Street in a five year instalment but feels like things changed quite a lot this to me felt like by far the biggest shift if you compare what coronation street was like at the end of 1999 to how it was at the beginning of 1995 it really you mean was at the end of 1990 you said at the end of 1999 Nine, compared to the beginning of 1995 okay, right. it really felt like a different show yep there's a lot more there's a load more new characters there's a load of characters that have gone yeah, it definitely just feels a, like this was a transitional period. It was. I mean, people talk about the Brian Park era being a gear shift for Coronation Street. You know, some may say for the better, some may say for the worse. But um, it, it really, really was, wasn't it? it well, we don't have it's a not an, ball to say whether or not the show would have continued had Brian Park not axed some of the characters. But it's quite telling to say that the characters he did axe had a, a radical impact on the sort of sh- stories that they could tell on on Coronation Street 
and what kind of people they were telling stories about. Mm. And it's not just the characters as well, is it? It's the the tone of the show. Yeah. And and again, I'm not saying anything you know that hasn't been said many times before by other commentators. <laughs> not but coming it, to this, Coronation Street was certainly a lot gentler, a lot yeah. more kind of. Well, a lot less sensational. <laughs> a lot um, less sexy. Yeah, it was a lot less sexy, wasn't it? <laughs> it really it's probably was. been sex stuff. It's a bit. Yeah. You can see why Alma was Alma Barlow. No, yeah, Thelma Thelma Barlow. Um, <laughs> complained and also Gina oh, Alexander yeah, as well. Did not like. No. Quite a few of the people it, who have had left or had been axed in this time um, have not a lot of good things to say about. Coronation Street, yeah, from Bill this Waddington. Time onwards, mm, definitely. It was. It just feels a lot. It sounds so cliche, a lot darker by the time we reach ninety nine, doesn't it? And like, and some of it I've liked, and some of it I haven't. I mean, nineteen ninety seven. I would have to say, out of these five years that we're talking about today, was by far my favourite year of the lot. And that was, you know, Pete Brian Park, wasn't it? Who's the producer that came in? I think he maybe started working for the show late ninety six, but his first episodes kind of um, showed up at early 97 and by the end of 97 even then it was a very different show and um, a lot of his decisions like you said um, gave way to the, the Coronation Street that we that we now know Coronation Street to be because it, it almost it almost doesn't feel like a classic Coronation Street anymore does it it no, just it feels doesn't. like you know now Coronation Street but with different, different characters, characters. Yeah. and so, some of those characters still being utter legacy classic characters yeah you know because you've still got your mics you've duckworth your almas uh and all that but there's still a lot yeah there's still people in it that are in it today like you've got steve audrey gail yeah uh, i'm trying to think of a, sarah louise yeah yeah we've just we've just uh, only just seen the introduction Leanne, of new Toya. sarah louise yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the Battersby's coming in were a huge talking point that I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get to chatting about soon. I think um, I feel very nostalgic for the '90s in general because um, well, that was our era, wasn't that it? That was our era, but also it was a time of unbridled optimism and sort of self congratulatory culture where we were we you know nine eleven changed everything for everybody. We became a much more cynical and dark society after that happened. Mm. But before then, I really do think that everybody was a lot more optimistic and really happy. We were leading up to the millennium. We didn't know what the new the new era was going to bring, but everyone was excited about the future. I don't think anyone is anymore. I think that's <laughs> over with now. Everyone's just very pessimistic about everything. I wouldn't say, though, that Coronation Street embodied any of that for me. Watching these episodes, I didn't feel any of that sort of you know there was you could still sense the uh the build-up to the millennium oh definitely in but stories only in, the, only in the last year but that's but, fair enough because i mean the millennium was definitely an obsession of our culture for a good 10 years before it happened yeah for sure and i remember even as a child thinking you know well, when when the millennium is how old here, am i gonna be i'll be 18 and yeah. i'll be starting my adult life or what will what magical things will yeah. will be at my um at my fingertips yeah. and I remember watching a Tomorrow's World um, episode where they were making out that we'd have household robots and flying cars <laughs> and I was absolutely I was like well Tomorrow's World said it would happen so I'm just waiting I was, haven't got very long to get this done though I was just watching a, a series of YouTube videos this morning about what we said in 2000 life in 2020 would be like really? and that's quite interesting as well I won't, I'm I, very I won't go into it now but it was a 
Yeah, futurology and all that. Futurology is one of my favourite things. So look back and see um, what we used to think the world would be like in uh, different eras. But anyway, that's they're, they're definitely they definitely the captured 90s. the excitement for the millennium, and they're just now as we've just been watching, they've been building up to a party. The most tragic bit about the millennium incoronation street though for me was the fact that alf roberts wasn't able to make it to it because as the as the counselor he was like mr millennium wasn't he and he was the one behind all of weatherfield's plans for this is what we're going to do to celebrate the year 2000 and you know the millennium bowl on the red wreck when they had all that digging up with the stuff with spider and his protesters and everything and um sadly um alf was killed off just a year before the millennium wasn't it? it was like first of january 99 he was killed off and then brian molsey himself died like six weeks later yeah um so that was that was really tragic but um because i mean it, the millennium bowl is obviously a tater like a riff on the millennium dome which yeah. was one of our was this the beginning i mean britain's always been a bit of a slightly naff place hasn't it what since since <laughs> since the end of the empire darling we've, had, we've been a bit on a slow decline and i think that the, the screwing up of the Millennium Dome was really the the first time I think we all publicly acknowledged everything was slightly more crap than we had ever realised it was. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, at least it was built was, unlike the Weatherfield Bowl. The eighties was full of like people wanting to be yuppies and hating yuppies for being yuppies, and the nineties was full of like, oh, what's it going to be like in the Millennium? And then since we hit the year two thousand, we've just been going, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is how it is, isn't it? Such a pessimist. It's not going to get any better than this. I think other uh, the other reason you said we were talking about the nineties being our era, particularly the late nineties, and that was like you know when I got Sky TV for the first time and pop culture was sort of rammed well, down my Brit throat. Pop was you know the global sensation, wasn't it? Being being British was actually cool. Yeah, and it's it was funny seeing. Um, Again, we, we've talked about the fashion through the era, through a lot of these discussions that we've had, but there was certainly a lot of crazy, colourful um, blouses and shirts and things that the characters were wearing at this time, weren't there? Well, yeah. I and mean... um, Greg Kelly and his um, loud ties stood out to me. Lots of, like the wallpaper, all that, like, it had all come out of changing rooms. Like, Carol Smiley had been around everywhere, hadn't they? And, like, oh, rag rolled everything. And... Yeah, changing rooms. <laughs> I mean, 97 was when Austin Powers came out and you've got the Spice Girls. There's been an got... awful lot of Spice Girls in the background in these episodes of Corrie. When, Nick, uh, no, when Ken fell through the ceiling on top of Leanne and Nick, they were snogging away to two become one. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. After that. And Leanne doing a Jerry Halliwell impression in the, in the factory as well. And you've got, you know, kind of you know, mid-90s was like Oasis and Blur. So you've got alternate like Britpop Brit, Brit rock or whatever you want to call it, and also proper pop, like take that Spice Girls, kind of putting Britain in, in on the global yeah. stage, and everyone was a bit more confident about what it meant. Mm. You know, you know, if you look back at old episodes of Cory, um, they're really focusing on recovering after the after the Second World War and building up industry and and and. Uh, focusing on jobs and the working class whereas i don't know everything's a bit more nebulous and mm. confusing in the <laughs> 90s but we had that kind of cultural aspect to focus on didn't we yeah and then we get to we get to the millennium and it's all downhill from there funnily enough i didn't in the episodes that we saw nobody was talking about the um the bug Millennium bug. No, I don't know whether they got mentioned in Coronation Street or really not. Which is really weird because in my house, we were absolutely... Well, my mum was very obsessed with 
this idea that there was going to be some kind of apocalyptic um, disaster where <laughs> you'd have to make sure you had your your emergency rations and your water. Mm. And, Although and I just want to say one thing: what the fact that people make fun of the, of like people worrying about the Millennium Bug, but actually, what happened was people identified the issue and then they fixed it. Yeah. And everyone thinks that it was a waste of time for, to worry about it. But actually it wasn't because people actually fixed the problem. Whereas what we do now is worry about it and don't do anything to stop it from happening. And then when it happens, we're like, oh, I knew this would happen. <laughs> well, we reacted quite well to COVID, I have to say, as a, as a do you global think, population. I really Could don't have been think worse. that people are going to agree with you on that. Um, but when, when we were talking about the New Year's Eve there as well, we haven't actually seen New Year's Eve Weatherfield, have we? Because I think there was an episode that was broadcast on the 31st of December 99, but it, it was fairly throwaway. The big Millennium Party episode was shown on the 1st of January 2000. So the next one that we see is going to be the big Millennium episode. And then also <sighs> Raquel coming back. Raquel's back! That's I've, your quote. That is my, yeah. Um, I, I only watched that a couple of years ago last. I'm interested to, to see what you think of that. And both of those, I think, are hour-long episodes, which we've seen more of in the late 90s. In fact, I think it was probably 95 where we had the first ever hour-long episode of Coronation Street. And it's kind of caught us off guard a little bit watching, hasn't it? Like, oh, this is an hour-long one. Yes, <clears throat> we didn't really used to have that, I don't think. No. No. And also the spin-off episodes. Oh yeah, this is the this is the era of the VHS spin-off, didn't we? Well, the first two of them at least. So we saw um, the uh, what was the first one? The QE two episode, which um, again that's that's on the Curly and Raquel topic, which we'll come to later. That wasn't so good, I didn't think. And then, the, but I'd seen that once or twice before. And then there was a Viva Las Vegas one, which I'd never seen before, and and that was all right, really, wasn't it? I think when it, which had Jack and Vera going to Las Vegas, Maxine and. Uh, and Fiona there as well, and uh, Ray Langton showing up, of course, not doing his best <laughs> best performance ever, Neville Buswell. But um, no, that that was an all right episode. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Was was the night? I don't really remember. It's really difficult for me to recall because I was born in eighty two. So for for most of the eighties, I was just you know unconscious, and then the nineties was when I was a little girl. So I was from age of eight or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so I'm not really that, I can't really remember in context too much, but I do think that sort of in the mid-90s was when pretty much everybody had a VHS player yeah, yeah. recorder. And I, th- I do remember coveting the ones that had the double-decker uh, VHS things and you could record one and play <laughs> another one. So everybody, almost everybody had something to watch additional media at home by this point in time. So them doing these specials made make sense and in the mid sort of i think um i think that in dvds were like only invented in like 1995 or 1996 or something like that so um everybody knew that that this point this home media stuff was here to stay so that's Mm. why they kind of branched out into these vhs specials because the the audience was there to 
purchase and watch yeah. them. Although I remember there was a, a massive fuss caused by this first one at the time, the QE2 one, because it was like a VHS only, but they ended up showing it on TV. I can't remember. It might have even been the next year, like a few months later, and everybody complained when they... They but they bought it and they thought they yeah. had this exclusive content but I, th- I don't think they did that with Viva Las Vegas and um, talking of other kind of spin-offs as well we also had although didn't actually watch any of the um Cory After Hours which was the 1999 series of episodes that were shown at like 9 or 10 p.m yeah um five nights in a row and that was where Steve and Vikram went down to Brighton then across to Calais and we had the return of Bet and Vicky and Reg I think um, we still come, could watch some of that. We might go back and see it at some point, but it, it didn't feature on our on our schedule, did it? We had <laughs> racing through to the end of the year. If you're not from the UK, um, you probably don't know anything about this, but booze cruises are what Brits would do. I don't know if, that, if you can do it anymore now because of us leaving the EU, but basically there was no tax to pay on alcohol and cigarettes that you bought in France. And it's very easy to get to France quite quickly from anywhere on the south coast, mm. especially in, in uh, Kent, because it's very, very short trip yeah. across there. You, we can go from, from um, Portsmouth or... Where's the other place? Um, Pool. Pool. Um, it takes a bit longer. But, yeah, basically, Brits would just go across and just buy copious amounts. There was no limit to what you could buy. Yeah, so having having Steve and Vikram going over there and being a bit naughty about it, then um, that, that fit really, very much with the mood of the time. It's for personal consumption only. You're not supposed to sell it on. Mm. Um, and we, also, I was going to say, the only the, the thing about these the after-hours things, this was shown on TV, but this was not the first time, obviously, the Coronation Street had done spin-off shows because they had... A couple of... Like, oh, the yeah, brothers, yeah, of course. Brothers? The Brothers Grimm? No. No, that's the thing. <laughs> what was it called? Brothers something or other. And also, I don't remember the Apart in the Expression, which part, was the yeah. uh, Leonard Swindy one. There, was a co- there were a couple of spin-off shows, for, for, but that was very early on in the... Yeah. Um, yeah, so they kind of came back to the idea of it, and it's not been seen much since, apart from the odd online spin-off, but even those have kind of petered out in recent years, haven't they? Um, so this was def- this was an era of Coronation Street when I first Brothers McGregor. Thank you very much. This was the era of Coronation Street when I definitely first started watching it, and I know I said that back in the last one because I couldn't remember exactly. Like, did I start watching in ninety three, ninety four? I can't remember. I know there were some things in ninety four that I vaguely remember happening, but nineteen ninety five, absolutely by that point, I was a converted Coronation Street fan. I remember when I started to go to secondary school in September of 1995 and I remember asking people whether they watched Coronation Street, which is just how you make friends, you know, when you're a 13-year-old is boy. Is it how you make friends? Yeah. Did, so, how successful were, were you? Well, I got Mark as a friend, so that's that's one, and I how, suppose. When was the last time you spoke to Mark? Oh, a few, a few years. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I definitely had seen this before and, and I, I probably missed the odd episode here and there. But though it was still, especially everything after the ITV3 episodes felt kind of new to me. And I don't know whether it, like that meant that some of it had been forgettable or whether it was just the fact that it has been 20 years since I'd watched it before. But that was, a, that was an unusual experience, you know, watching things that I knew I had seen before, but it didn't really... Um, I just didn't really remember it. And you're going to get the same thing in a couple of years' time because you started watching in late 2001, so we're not too far away to catching up to your era as well. <sighs> yeah. Um, I think before we get on to chatting about some of the characters and stories in more detail, I think we need to point out as well the, the another reason that we've, we're a little bit late with this discussion 
um, is that we had a bit of a breather from it midway through 1996, didn't we? Uh, and this, do you want to talk a bit about that? Because I think it was you that instigated this. Oh, I just got fed up with it. I don't really know what else you want me to say. I just can't, I couldn't be doing with it. It it kind of got a bit boring and I just felt like every single day my spare time was Coronation Street based, which is not how... It's not living my best life, I'm just going to say. It was also when I was when I had it's that time we, off school, didn't I? Because we had lockdown again, so like we'd watch it, we'd watch a classic Coronation Street during lunchtime, and it did. It felt like a bit of a, a slog. And well, 1996 because, yeah, just, was a bit of a dull year as well. Actually. I don't mind watching Corrie. You know, obviously I like watching Corrie. That's why we do the show. But you can have too much of a good thing, and I really don't like. You know, I any any tv show i wouldn't be able to watch every single day yeah. hours a day no no so we and yeah, uh... i think you just I, and I kept saying and another thing that happened which happens quite often in our relationship i will <laughs> say to you i'm having an i'm having a a bit much of it i'm i'm getting a bit fed up with this i can't really cope with this and that to me is me saying to you this is the end of the line we must stop now and that <laughs> to you you just hear me saying i feel i'm feeling a bit fed up with this and you're thinking well you know she's probably got another good two, three or four weeks of this yeah. <laughs> But no, I mean, stop immediately or I will have a mental breakdown. So we did. We paused our curry watching for a month, didn't we? And I was very good and I didn't mention no, it. Yeah, what do you mean? And then we, we kind of, once we got back to like, I don't remember when it was, April time, we, we picked up the pace back again and then um, and then went through the second half of the 90s. But it's fortunately... being forced to do something. I am not, I'm not really for that. Mm. That's fair When enough. I feel like something is a... Um, an obligation rather than a pleasure is when I yeah. start to find it a bit much. Yeah, well, as we've been talking about with the um, the ITV Hub episodes and Kyrie kind of just making us watch it in a but certain way. But to be honest, way. that break was really good. And um, when I got back into when we started watching it again, I have enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed watching all the new characters coming in. And well, yeah. So character wise, I think one other thing that I would that I would say characterizes this era is the turnover. Of, of characters and we we complain now about you know too many people on the cast and everything and but this was the beginning of the era i would say where they got rid of quite a lot of, of the classic the old you know the old guard as it were and then brought in only a handful of new characters that really lasted but there was a heck of a lot of characters that came in stayed around for you know between six months and two years maybe and then went and just kind of were forgotten lost to to Corrie history I believe that this was the beginning of Coronation Street recruiting characters for storyline purposes yeah we're very very used to that happening on Coronation Street quite regularly so think about characters like say Vicky who came in um, and she looked like she might be a regular character, but no, actually, she's only really there to talk, you know, to be involved in, um, like, uh, Amy's story and all, you know. All oh, I thought, thing. yeah, yeah, I thought you were like, talking about Vicky McDonald. Yeah, she was in it for a bit longer. Yeah, Vicky, Vicky Jeffries. Yeah, recently. and, um, uh, for example... Even, like, Harvey at the moment. Harvey or... Renter villain. Yeah, or, say, um, who's the one that's dead in the woods? No, uh, Rick Nealon. Rick Nealon, for example... I don't think Corey did that so much. You know, the the only person I can really think of in original classic Corey was like, say, like Dave Smith, who was mm. the the like the the villainous. Um, yeah, like you gangster. had you had your Dave Smith, your Charlie Muffet, even like Esther Hayes at the beginning was 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 a fairly bland character. I know, but but a Coronation Street now, it is not unusual for you to have in your mind 
okay, here's the main cast and here's the people that are just in it for a bit. And and it's very, it's sometimes that you kind of, you know, graduate somebody from one list to the other. So, for example, Gemma, when she came in, she was um, Callum's mole and she was just his little side piece, kind of sidekick villain. And then she graduated from that side of the of the cast list to the permanent cast list. Exa- another example, Henry. Now, I would love Henry to have joined the main cast list, but it's obvious to me that he was just, you know, on the on the other side, on on the t- on the side of, I'm only here for a particular story. Mm, yeah. And Coronation Street, I really do not think did that with any regularity until the mid '90s. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I mean, I've got a list of new minor characters that have appeared in Corrie in the past five years that we've been watching and it's, it's massive isn't it People, and, and so many of these like you look back and go you can almost say who are they or what did they actually do so people like Claire and Becky Palmer so Claire was somebody who went out with Des for a year or so and then they had that storyline about her um needing or having to give up her the army pension because of her oh, husband yeah. that, that copped it dull um and and completely you know, unmemorable, really. You got, you've also got your hunk, hunk of the year. People like Chris Collins, for example. How long was he in it? A couple of, couple of years, maybe. Not left a major impression at all. Tony Horrocks, um, and then, but then also same with some of the the ladies that have shown up. Like, um, what was uh, Natalie's niece, Lorraine? Is she still in at the moment? I don't know, but so some of these characters are just coming in and. Not making an impression well, like whatsoever. Zoe Tattersall, she she made a big impression, but she was yeah. only in there to you know for for a couple of story for a couple of storylines. Mm. Um, mm. John Lindsay obviously was only in there for the Deirdre goes to prison storyline. Yeah, yeah. Jess Quigley, he's just arrived in the show. He's there to be an evil drugs lord. Yeah, and he's going to go in like with, with less than fifty episodes under his and, belt. And Malone felt to me like they introduced her because they thought they needed. I don't. I don't really know what they introduced. She was but... a funny one because she came in for a little bit in the early part of this era and was kind of going out with Andy for a bit. And then she developed a bit of a crush on Curly. Then she disappeared off for a couple of years and then came back just to be a bit of an evil psycho and have a slightly comedic ending. Yeah, literally. That's that's her main purpose was was one big story and it I don't know I will I can't you know say for one way or the other whether this was deliberate whether these characters were only there for a specific storyline or if they were introduced because they genuinely thought that they would stick around for a longer time mm. and have more of a turn yeah we, I we, really don't know we've also seen um we, Sally's been going through her men hasn't she I mean so I mentioned Chris Ooh. Collins earlier and, and, and that ties into the affair which I'm sure we'll talk more about later on but we've also seen her bedding um well she's going out with Danny Hargreaves at the moment who's who, she ends up um, opening the hardware store though that hasn't happened yet again completely forgettable character we've got um we've got Vinnie Sorrell turn up who um fancies Natalie there was a load of flipping uh, Geordies on the show in the late 90s weren't there I, I remarked on the other day um, Alan McKenna who goes out with uh, Fiona for a bit um, Josie Clark who goes out with Don uh, uh, quite a few of them are just these temporary partners that show up and it feels like they could be major characters but then they just like you say disappear and get I don't forgotten know what about is, forever it was, was there a lack of long term planning was this deliberate I don't know but what I will say is that watching the second half of the 90s, to me, was fairly disorientating and even more confusing than 
the other ones have been. And I think every single time we've done these sort of chats about five years worth of Coronation Street, since probably, I don't know, the mid-70s, I've been going, I don't really know. I, you know, I'm following kind of what's happening, but it feels like I'm, I'm sort of peeping through, you know, holes in the fence and catching glimpses of what's going on and not really following it and the fact that there are so many new characters is not very helpful now obviously those minor characters we just mentioned just sort of came in and went and oh you know wouldn't wouldn't um begrudge anyone who didn't remember most of those people but that this half of the decade also did bring in some very very memorable characters many of whom are still probably famous with coronation street watchers if not even still in the show now well can we can we talk battersby's of course we can. I because, love to talk. I mean, if, if we talk about the, the second half of the 90s and the rejuvenation that um, the show had at the hand of Brian Park, the Battersby's were front and centre of that, weren't they? Definitely. How did you find that with them coming in? Because <sighs> you must that, have known that they were coming. Yeah, of course I did. Um, obviously, the Battersby's were incredibly infamous and notorious when they originally appeared in the show. And hated. I know that that's what I'm getting at. Everybody hated them. Well, the majority opinion was people didn't like them. They felt very disruptive. They were... Um, to me, I thought it was a bit strange that people threw up, threw up about this, threw their arms up about this, because... Yeah, there's probably some people that threw up as well. Probably. <laughs> they felt to me like the modern-day version of the Ogdens. So, so I can imagine Coronation Street introducing them as Ogdens. Because the Ogdens were also lower class sort of louts who um, people would look down on. I think the that's what that... happened with the Battersby's. But there was also this period of time, I do remember, like, Neighbours from Hell. You know, that kind mm. of idea of people moving in next to you who are antisocial. Antisocial behaviours on the rise. I don't really know whether there was a cultural thing that happened. You know, I don't know if there were... I guess this was around the time when people were buying council houses as well. I don't know yeah. what's going on culturally to say that this was a time when people were anxious about I think chats. you're right to com- make the comparison to the Ogdens, but I don't remember the Ogdens being quite so in your face or quite so despised by know. the neighbours Yeah, I do when not we know what it. the reaction of people, contemporaries at the time, to the Ogdens being introduced in the show was. Were they as shocked as people seem to have been about the Battersby's arriving? I don't know, but I do know that the, the so, sort of social consciousness of people, you know, these kind of people, um, it, they kind of blipped on the radar. And, I, yeah. you know, and it's difficult also for us too to really um, differentiate between... What was society as a whole sort of coming to the awareness of a of a sort of group or culture or theme or issues based storyline or us suddenly becoming of an age where we become more aware of these things happening? Mm, I don't know. So, you know, when when we're watching these in, in real life, we're in our early teens, aren't we? Mm. In, in real life, Michael and Gemma are, yeah. you know, 13 or whatever, coming up to, to 18 during this time. Um. So this is the sort of time when you start to become more aware of the sort of world around you as a whole. Mm. See, I, so I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's a difficult thing for me to make a judgment call on because always you're going to be affected by who you were and how old you were and what you were doing in a certain era when you're looking back at history, mm. if you're alive at the time. Yeah, I mean, Brian Park had a vision with the Battersby's and he 
he certainly followed through. He wanted them to kick up a, a, a fuss. They, he he wanted people to kick up a fuss about them. He wanted them to make a stir. He wanted to make them as obnoxiously awful as possible, didn't they? I mean, they they come in, you know, Toya and Al, uh, uh, Leanna graffitiing the picture of Alma in fresh yeah. goes. They steal the shopping trolley. They nick the power tool out of uh, well, Bill's van. Toya does. Then over the next few episodes, you have. Um, Les nothing Curly after Curly wants the music turned down. There's literally like a a, a group of residents that have a, a meeting together about how are we going to get rid of these awful Battersby's. Um, See, because uh, I think that they, that it was very deliberate that Coronation Street, and I look, before I get into this, I don't want to offend anybody and I don't know, you know, I'm I'm speaking about this from a family, we used to, I lived on a, on a Coronation Street, <laughs> I lived on an estate when I was a kid um, with my family, I always I was raised on a council estate, um, so I don't feel like I'm out of turn to talk about this. But I think that they made a big deal about the fact that they were renting this house as social housing. So in the UK, when we say social housing, we mean um, people are being housed by the council. So the council would find you somewhere to live and generally it would have been on a council estate. So everybody was in the same sort of position on a council estate where you sort of similar income to everybody else and what the things that come with having a low income group of people unfortunately some some sometimes is crime, drugs, alcohol abuse, all the things that you would stereotype. Unfortunately it's stereotyped for a reason and I know because I lived I lived that as a kid, you know, drugs, antisocial behaviour, mm. people breaking You did it all, didn't you? All of it. I was the kingpin. <laughs> anyway, so, but on Coronation Street, there's this kind of, and I've said talked about this before, this myth that it's about working class people. But most of the people on the street own their own home or they own a business or they can go for great stretches of time without having a job, without really having any problems all of the things that come with being a working class person, all those stresses and strains of not having an income or all the all the troubles are really just only plot points when Coronation Street want them to be. They're not an overarching, de- depressing reality like they would no. be if you really were genuinely properly working class. So the Battersby's moving in as as sort of the council's, moving into a council house, that was kind of causing a stir, wasn't it, mm. amongst the residents because they were all slightly higher status yeah. because they, are, you know, privately renting or own their own homes, a lot of them. We, we'd seen shades of the lower, lower class in Coronation Street in the preceding years with, like, the mallets moving in in 95, I'm going to say. And I think Judy and Gary were just a, a little bit little bit lower class-wise than the others nearby. I mean, nearby. even if you think about the and, Duckworths, they yeah. were, like, they took over from the Ogdens mm. and then they sort of fell on their feet a little bit and ended up owning the business and moving into the Rovers and everything. But there's always been somebody on the street, I think it's been a permanent thing, that there's always someone who's the bottom of the ladder. Mm. Well, yeah, and and um, now it's Chesney and Gemma. Yeah. Trisha Armstrong and uh, Jamie were around yes. this time as well, weren't they? You yeah. talked about that and, recently. And if you think about current day Sharon, she's coming from the perspective of somebody who would have been in that situation but she's kind of got turned to a life of crime to elevate herself and dig her way out of whatever poverty she got left in when Ian when it all went wrong with Ian or whatever happened but you see what I'm saying like um I think that this was the modern day version of what has always happened on Coronation Street 
with the the families that I've just mentioned, but it was the nineties version, mm. and I don't I don't I don't I do not know whether there was something going on with people um, from council estates being homed in different areas because I know these days when you have a new development you have to have a certain amount of social housing mm. to try to sort of make people yeah. uh, mix m- more because you know this the segregation stuff it's you know can can cause conflict mm. as well as what happened here which is forcing people together who aren't necessarily want to live in the same way because the the Battersbeaks come in and they are raving and partying and throwing things out of windows and shouting and stealing and it's the worst stereotype you can imagine of what it's like to live on a council estate. Toya and Leanne really came in, you know, the 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 worst of the worst, the scummiest of the Chavis Chavs. Well, I can tell they? you... But they d- didn't I last long. I can tell long. you that people get a lot worse than that on council estates. Oh, yeah, for Just sure. Just so you know. But, um, yeah, I... I, I but when they came in, I think the the Battersby's had to make a bit of a splash. But I think they it seems like they were quickly toned down a little bit, or at least some of them were. Well, Les, I would say, is still just as bad as he was before. You know, always on the scrounge and everything. And Janice was never; she she always seemed to want to better herself and get out of it. But it was Les was dragging her down. Yeah, and there's, and there's, there's been some there's been some some lovely scenes where she's been like, Les, I don't, I don't want this. I want us to not, not be like this. One of the most memorable ones was the recent one we saw where um, Les gets caught out for going on the dole mm. at the, so that's unemployment. Um, at yeah, the same when he time, he's also working and he was getting 50 quid a week or something on the dole while also pocketing his money. Yeah. And he, nobody knew about this apart from him and then he gets caught and Janice you know, sat down with him and they were having dinner together and she was just in tears saying, you know, it's not just the fact that he lied to her, but also that she never saw a penny of this money and it all just got wasted on on alcohol and betting and and cigarettes and Mm. she's there scrounging away trying to earn honest living and providing for her family, which includes him even though it shouldn't do because he's supposed to also be an adult of working age bringing money in for the family yeah although i mean uh, although janice was trying to you know be honest and everything i i did enjoy like some of the beginning scenes where she wasn't quite so much like that one of my favorite ones was when um uh was it was it bill comes round because of finding out that toya had nicked his power drill and les and silla are both there trying to pretend that toya is like a kleptomaniac and they're like oh she's yeah she's got a problem oh she's going through counseling and everything and uh and they completely pull the wool over bill's eyes and then when when he and he kind of agrees to let the matter drop and when he leaves they both burst out laughing they 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 really were funny the batted as i absolutely love them um yeah it's, it's like there's an anxiety about the depiction of like working class people where you don't want you want to give them agency and a bit of power sometimes. So the Ogdens had the same thing where sometimes they'd be the butt of the joke and sometimes they'd be the one who triumphed. But yeah. very, very rarely in the, in the Ogdens case would that ever happen. Same with the Duckworth. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, the Toya and Leanne, though, they've seen the biggest change over yes. the few years, haven't they? It, it, Leanne has that story where she gets married to, to Nick. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, and, and Gail's long-term prejudice of the Battersby's, that's where it all that's began, the, wasn't that's it? That's the origin story. Yeah, this 25-year-long hatred or distrust that Gail has of that family, and, and Leanne in particular. And there's a really neat scene that I think kind of epitomises the difference between 
how Leanne was brought up compared to Nick because Nick was that is the, is still the apple of Gail's eye, like the prized golden child mm. of the of the family, um, who's been coddled his whole life. And I have to tell you, what's the actor's name? Adam Rickett. Adam Rickett's Nick is the biggest drip. <laughs> he's slowers. He's he's you know you get the characters that are a little bit boring, a bit rubbish, but he goes beyond this, doesn't he? He, he is, is such a massive drippy wet, wet blanket. blanket is, really is Adam is. Rickett's Nick, and somehow he falls in with Leanne, and there's a scene where they they elope and. Leanne appears outside of a shop wearing this beautiful, very 90s, slinky, white wedding dress. Yeah. And she's like, oh, how'd you like it? And he's like, oh, it's great. And she goes, oh, I nicked it. And he's like, oh, no, you can't steal things. That's bad. And she doesn't get why he's so upset about it. And he's like, he doesn't go, well, seeing as what you've nicked it, let's just get out of there. He's like, literally, on the, on the doorstep of the, of the shop where she's stolen this from, he's, he's lecturing her about how it's wrong to steal things. Mm. And then she says, oh, no, not really. And he beats her as well. She's- He's such a trip. That was that was really fascinating rewatching the beginnings of that really, relationship, knowing where it'd go over the next you know, like twenty five years. Watching the current, you know, predicament that they're in, mm. I refuse for my own mental health to acknowledge that Adam Rickett Nick and Ben Price Nick are the same Nick. They just can't be. I know, I they know. Just, they are really, I mean, talk about... But I did about... think that the Adam Rickett Nick wasn't worlds away from Warren Jackson Nick, actually. They... I know, but talk about, like, moaning about recasting Todd. Gareth Pierce is, you know, if you're going to talk about Adam Rickett versus Nick Price and Gareth Pierce ben versus Price. Bru- uh, Bruno Langley, Bruno Langley might as well, I mean... um. Adam Rickett might as well be an alien from Mars for all Nick Price is anything ben like. Price. <laughs> oh, shut up, then. No, I know what you mean. It, it, it was. A, I'm a... doing pretty well remembering all these names. You are. Michael. You're doing a good job. You're going to, considering we've got so many to go through. No, they they were hilarious. Um, and it's yeah, and both Nick, uh, both well, I'm forgetting names now. Leanne and Toya both get very, very much more mellowed over those five years or three years, I suppose, don't they? We've it just really watched didn't take very long. the run up to the millennium, and already Leanne's got the classic, you know, current Leanne hairstyle, for example. But She's really is kind of one thing I want to say though is that I think Toya was hammered down into being a bit more mousy, much faster. Than Leanne was because we're yeah. watching. So we're we're in ninety nine at the moment. You've got Leanne hanging out with Jess Quigley, taking cocaine and ruining everybody's parties and going to raves. And you've got um, Toya going to the shop with Spider, buying cauliflowers and throwing sultanas in a, in a fit and being lectured for mm. bruising the fruit by by Spider. To- Toya was a, a real. Um, she, I mean, I, I think like Les would say, oh, she was she was thick. And, and and everything, but she she comes out of it. I mean, it's the end of ninety seven when Spider comes into the show, and he was such a turning point in Toya's character that takes the edge off her, not in a bad way necessarily. As entertaining as she was, seeing her you know hanging outside the cabin and smoking and everything, I, know, I, I really I, was very rapid. I yeah. really did enjoy the her infatuation with Spider, putting the putting the antifreeze on the Norwegian. Well, prawns. let's just talk quickly about. Because that really is its own separate plot. Like, Spider turns up during this time. You you were never a fan of Spider, were you? Did I you, think have you grown to like him? Because I really like dimwit, him. To be frank. Why? Because he talks like a dimwit. <laughs> That's rude. He does. I was... 
Because he, I can't remember how long he was in the show, or five years or so. So maybe. he turns up. He's he's nephew Jeffrey. Yeah, of Emily. Emily, Emily Nugent, Emily, whatever she is, Bishop. Bishop. Um, he turns up unannounced. He spends the whole time sort of lazing around with jumpers covered in holes. His and I jumpers refuse, are so I refuse to believe he ever bought a new jumper in his life. He cut, nobody wears jumpers long enough for them to get that many holes when he's that young. <laughs> I'm I'm like well, 38 and I don't have holy jumpers. It's all the yet. crawling through tunnels that he's been doing. How much of that you've been so doing he, recently? So he turns up and he's all, you know, he's a, he's a hippie and this was like the golden era apart from obviously the 60s. This was like the resurgence of the the modern hippie and like new age stuff. Mm. And you know, it was uh, the peace, swampy, yeah, and um, eco warrior, eco warriors, exactly. So, so he's one of those, and he turns up and he recruits. Is this this time, or did this already happen? What the red wreck and everything? Yeah, th- th- yeah. It was this Christmas. It was very soon after he arrived. That was when Alf Roberts was was. was planning to have built the Millennium Dome, the Millennium Bowl on the Red Wreck and they have it all, um, they start digging it up. Emily climbs up a tree because Vida finds out that the hairy ground water is growing there. So basically, that yeah, this was paralleled to a, a very famous real person in the UK called Swampy and mm. Spider was like that kind of, you know, yeah. a, mold, a mold of that character. And so he was doing all this and he was also vegetarian and this was a very impressionable time in Toya's life where she was a young teen girl sort of blossoming into her sexuality, fixates on to- on Spider. And he's not interested. He's completely oblivious. At the beginning, he's not interested at all. And she just has this schoolgirl crush. But eventually, when they have the um, the eclipse, they go to the Red Wreck to yeah. watch it in a tent. And that's when... They don't see much eclipse. Toya becomes a woman. <laughs> And after that, that's when they start hanging around. That they start it's... dating properly, and um, really, I would say that Spider's influence on Toya is still in the show now because mm. I really think that her very lefty kind of vegetarian, um, you know, let let everybody do what they want kind of hippie mm. streak that she has really goes all the way back to to this period of her life. Yeah. Whereas Leanne doesn't really shake this really rebellious kind of streak that she's got that was instilled in her by being a Battersby and the the whole thing of the Battersby's was it's us versus the world. Mm. And it I don't more... think Leanne really she had a very brief period where she where you know very recently where she's been like that but up until that point she's been like that the whole time yeah i think it was becoming a mum to simon like uh, later on that cuz was a bit of a turning point for yeah. leanne um but yeah toya we we it was it was spider that started you know changing her but also we got to see her wanting to better herself and she she wrote the articles for the magazine which this has just been on ITV3 at the moment and, she's and she like has her English yeah she has her English lessons with Ken and everything she she starts to resent her family which is when she goes running off to see her real dad in London which we watched two episodes of that didn't we again horrific. that's just recently um aired on ITV3 why was that horrific well, she runs off to see her dad and she gets the wrong man and nearly gets raped in the woods. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty that bad. Was that's pretty I bad, isn't remember. it? Was it? I was really surprised how much of a main character Toya is. And it just goes to show where you've got the Baileys now in Coronation Street who've been in the programme for two years now, which was, you know, a similar amount of time as the Battersby's have been on the show. Because if they come in mid-97, mid we're now late 99. So two and a half years of Battersby's we've had. Just look how 
much of an influence they've had on the they're street. Completely how they've got their roots everywhere. Where the, whereas the Baileys are just so so insular. I cannot imagine everybody sitting around in the Rovers having a chat, and you know Aggie's just there. No. Saying, yeah, this is what I think, and everyone's saying, yeah, yeah, Aggie, you're right, or shut up, Aggie, nobody cares what you think. Like literally, they are their own thing. Yeah, the the Battersby's are a, are a real lesson in how to make a big impression, make a splash with a new family, and just get them everywhere. Yeah, and it feels like they they totally and belong. Even though people were resentful of it. I I don't know how long that lasted. No. And it just goes to show you about if when you sort of look at Corrie now and the press that gets generated from some things that happen and stories that are controversial perhaps and things that people kick off about on social media and you think, you know, in six months' time, are people going to still be harping on about this or have, will they have moved on and accepted, you know, whatever's happened and not really be going on about it? You know, how many people were still mad about the Battersby's at the end of ni- uh, 1999. Yeah, uh, I wonder. N- not very many. Probably not, no. Um, okay, so I think I think that'll do with our Battersby discussion. I've really, really enjoyed them. I, I enjoyed, think they were great. I enjoyed the, the, the mallets, the proto-Battersby's. Um, although they, they, they didn't feel quite as integrated, did they? The mallets really felt to me like they were from the 70s. Oh, how come? And I mostly think it's down to... Oh, Ian Mercer's hairstyle. He really did look like he was from a like a hippie band. I really enjoyed them, but the fact that there was just two of them, yeah, it just it just felt that though they're having their own thing. And across the what three four years that we've seen of them, the story has been they want to really have a baby, and then they can't have a baby, and then they um kind of adopt this Zoe Tattersall who played by Joe Frogger off the street in a way. And, and Joe Frogger is she. Um, what's her face out of the... Yeah, she's the maid off of Downton, isn't Downton she? Um, and and actually, that part of the story where Zoe has the baby and Judy and Gary kind of, uh, they buy the baby off of her and then Zoe steals it away, that was heartbreaking. There was um, Gaynor Faye, who plays Judy, did some fantastic performances of the, the showing the utter heartbreak of not being able to have a baby and just being so close to thinking that she had the perfect life and then having it torn away from her. I really, really enjoyed that. But then... And and then the other memorable scene for me there was when baby Shannon ends up dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, what, 98 maybe? It was from meningitis, wasn't it? Yeah, and because um, and Zoe's such a terrible mum, she kind of takes the baby back because she realised she wants, his, wants her but doesn't know how to look after her or doesn't particularly care to look after her, goes well, off clubbing. She club was, in, like, involved leaves. in drugs and a cult and... Yeah, yeah, I think the cult came afterwards, which we didn't see very much of, did I'm we? I'm really said... disappointed in this cult thing because I was really bigging this up in yeah, my head it just didn't and appear then, on our I just saw one, literally one probably one episode where it was mentioned and that was it we saw, we saw them go to the, the cult house once didn't we and that had Bern Gorman's character and everyone having a bit of a hippie swaying time in there but yeah that, that story sadly passed us by but it'll be on ITV3 whether... again in the next six months I just don't think that British people do cults very well. <laughs> I think that Americans are much better at joining cults than English people. <laughs> I mean, I know we've got our Scientology, like, the headquarters here, wherever, what's his face, bought that giant mansion or, or whatever it was. So I just think we're just too embarrassed to really throw ourselves into being in a cult. <laughs> I suppose, okay, yeah, I keep, we've just, as always is the case with these um, five-year discussions, we're just sparking off in different directions all the time. The other thing that I think stands out in this era of Coronation Street is the era of the beginning of the silly story. I would say the cult was a bit of a silly story. I would say that the um, 
the gnome story where Arthur the gnome gets kidnapped from Mavis and Derek and then sends them postcards and then has part of then has his ear sent through the post and it turns out that it's Norris that's doing it all along. I would that's call a silly these story. Capers. But for capers for me, well, old Corrie capers used to be in this episode, the Ogdens are going to get themselves into this mischief, this sort of, you know, trouble or, or whatever. And then it's all solved by the end of the episode. This is maybe the time when it, when it lasted a lot longer. You had, um, what other silly stories were there from this era? Well, Even things like the... Jack's hip- hypnotism. Oh, Lusty Jack. Lusty Jack. Jack Johnson. Right, so explain what that so is. So this was a story from 98, <laughs> I'm going to say, where um, Vera was trying to get Jack to give up smoking and he refused to. And, and Alica was there trying to convince him to carry on smoking. He like, has a bet with Jack, doesn't he? To, I don't uh, know why he was so he was, like, obsessed it, with him smoking. Oh, I, I, think it was, I think it was partly because Jack, Vera was trying to turn the Rovers into a non-smoking oh, pub and right, Alec yeah. didn't want anything to do with that. So anyway, Jack agrees to get... Um, hypnotised to try and not smoke anymore and that that was one of my favourite of recent episodes the actual hypnotism scene he goes to see this woman he lies him down on a couch and she's like oh just imagine all the all the things that you like and in one of those corners is smoking now imagine taking that and screwing it up and I can't remember it she she just does a, a really hilarious long scene of of her telling him instructions and Jack who's pretending to be under hypnotism um, going along with it and, and he like reaches out and screws a bit of paper up and yeah. he, he sets a, a pile of cigarettes on the table alight and uh, and then and then when and then yeah and he pretends to regress into this you know 500 years old version of himself which is which is fair enough and that was funny for one episode and that's the sort of thing that as I say maybe the Ogdens would have had that little caper in the 70s or the 80s but having just watched this again on ITV3 as well, they keep this story up for a good two or three weeks. They really, really do. lots of characters kind of believe him. Vera absolutely believes that he has regressed back into this past life. And I think... I think Natalie and Betty are maybe a little bit wary, but they don't completely disbelieve. And it's just kind of taken as read that, yeah, Jack's had something gone wrong with him in this hypnotherapy session and he's and he's kind of trapped in this body. It That was, to me, was... Corrie kind of jumping the shark to the extreme. And a lot of people point out the, the gnome story as Corrie as silliest, but I think that this possibly is. Then you've got your Anne Malone as well in the freezer. That was kind of played for laughs, wasn't it? I didn't know what to think. I really didn't know what to think. So we, we hadn't seen a whole lot of Anne, but when we came back to her in late 1998, she's just there scheming away, trying to get rid of Curly. Um... Uh, from Freshgoes as some kind of revenge for him spurning her two years previously. And she goes around, she she turns off the CCTV in the freezer, then goes, like, tampering with something yeah. inside the freezer, and then Trevor, the security guard, locks her in, and she's there banging on the door going, Trevor, Trevor! And then the next episode starts with them finding this frozen corpse of Anne, and really, that should be horrific, but it was... Nobody really seemed to care, did Nobody they? Nobody gave two hoots. <laughs> the, the, the news spreads over the course of the next episode that Anne Malone's dead and she's been frozen in the freezer and the people are just like, oh. Oh, well. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, odd Coronation Street stories definitely um, characterise this era for me. Uh, what were we even talking about? The, the mallets? Maybe I'm over with that. But, oh, Judy's death. That was sad. It was very That was sad. really tragic because that... That was um, the same episode as Maxine and Ashley's wedding, which, watching it back, I think, Poignant. for me, was one of my 
probably one of my favourite Corrie weddings, just in terms of, oh, isn't this romantic? Isn't this lovely? Fred there is the really proud father slash uncle, because this comes in the wake of Ashley finding out that Fred is actually his dad and not his uncle. And and Fred being there so proud was lovely. And then Ashley's actual mum turning up. Um, It was a really, really nice wedding. And then whilst Gary's there doing his best man speech at the end of the episode, you see Judy going out, pegging out her washing and then um, passing out. And it was just, it was so, so terribly sad. When he finds, it was so sad when he finds out because, what's, who's the character? Basically, Welsh. Oh, Ma- Natalie, yeah. Natalie goes to the to the, um, the wedding, the wedding the and episode. says, "I need um, you need to come home because because um, Judy's been in an accident." And she doesn't say that he's dead. No, she's dead. She no. makes him come. Yeah, she makes he she makes him come back. She tells um, Jim. Jim and Jim's like, oh, oh dear. She brings him home. He gets to the house and he's like, "Where's Judy?" And Ken's there going. Didn't you tell him? And she Natalie says, oh, I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to say it. And so Ken has to say, oh, I'm really sorry. Judy's dead. It, and then he runs through into the into the back it, guard, garden, does... Yeah, Gary. Gary. And, and cradles Judy's corpse in his arms. Mm. And the doctor's there going, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. That was nothing we can do. And he's like, no, no, no. And then so the whole well episode done. ends with... Cobbles with you know rain soaked cobbles and silence. Yeah, no, no. That's how you can tell what the show expects the viewers to react like. So, so Judy's death sort of takes place over a couple of episodes, Mm. more than one, more than a couple, because you had it was a double episode with the wedding. Yeah, and then we also have the aftermath after that episode. Yeah, you have Gary's brother Shane turning up for a bit, and him sort of struggling with the twins. Everyone Nobody trying gave, to sympathise yeah. and help, but he doesn't Nobody want to. Nobody gave it. two hoots about old Freezer Lady. Yeah. No, there was no, like, poignant <laughs> ending for her. Nobody was sort of juggling with working out how to do the rotor now that they're one woman down. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, that was really well done. I, I, did, in, I did enjoy that. Did you like the mallets? Because it feels to me they that they felt forgettable. They felt really. I mean, I really, really like Gain of Faith. I think she's fantastic. I think when you compare, when you look at the other forgettable families of Coronation Street, because absolutely they're in there, and I think that they have been forgotten about. But if you compare them to the likes of um, the Harrises, um, the Mortons, the Claytons, even I think the Mallets are my favourite of the. You're quickly in and out, and then. Lost to the Mr. They Time Cory family. They were memorable for people that Gain were of in it for was such a so short good. amount of time. She's fantastic. Yeah, it's just a shame that they didn't have money stories aside from the need to have a baby. But I will, the one thing that was really sad was Baby Shannon dying. That was because that was heart wrenching. So, so breaking gut wrenching. Um, it was Leanne and Nick were supposed to be looking after baby Shannon. Oh, gosh, yeah. And it's it's Nick, it's Leanne that finds the dead and, and baby, isn't it? she goes up and finds this poor baby who has got had di- died of meningitis. And she's shrieking, going, what? I she's been sick. She's been sick everywhere, Nick. What do we do? Get Martin. Do. And it was just this... It was sort of one of these mundane tragedies where... These are real, you know, I know they're, they're not real people, but these were real people reacting. Not like you would in your mind if, you know, oh, if I if I was in that situation, I would do this, that and the other thing. They were helpless. They didn't know what to do. They were running around. They weren't being uselessly pathetic and annoyingly 
incompetent, but they just didn't know what the right thing to do was. And yeah. honestly, in that situation, the same as when Judy died, there was nothing to do. It's just a tragedy. You know, humans die mm. sometimes out of nowhere. And this poor baby who you would think had, you know, got 80 years left of life is is lifeless in the crib. And these two sort of teenage children left thinking that they could, you know, were... Uh, mature enough to to handle the situation, falling to pieces just like anyone of any age might have mm. done if they had come across. It was like it that. was really well and, done. And um, just holding this dead baby in their arms. Yeah. And I can't remember who came in. Well, I I, th- I thought it was that then Zoe turns up because she's been out clubbing and Ashley she he hangs right. around with her. Yeah, and it's she? like, well, what do you say? Yeah, yeah. On on your watch, this baby has died, and it might not have been your fault. I have to say. Props to Nick and Leanne for completely, you know, putting that behind them, not giving that a second thought. It wasn't their fault, but, you know, you'd expect them to dwell on it a little bit. Especially Leanne, what with what she's been going through with Ollie recently. I know, you'd think that she would have flashbacks. Yeah, I mean, but, you I know, can't... she hasn't had flashbacks of the drugs either, has she? No. I think she's uh, wiped she's, that really pre-millennium period for her. I really think she's got a very mentally healthy attitude to all of the setbacks she's had in her past. Put them behind you, can't Move change on. it. <laughs> Move on with your life. Yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, I I don't know what whether there were any scenes dedicated to them overcoming or talking about their trauma. I said the same thing when we watched the 60s episodes when Irma seemed to get over David's death remarkably quickly. But, you know, I know now looking back on it and reading up that she was a bit m- messed up about it for a while because it was her baby and her her husband that died in a horrible car crash. Yeah. And from the episodes <laughs> that you watch on the box set, it seems like one minute she's, you know, a bit bit down and the next minute she's off down the club pretending to be French. <laughs> it's not quite how it happened. Um, what else should we... Let's, let's talk more tragedy. Let's get all the tragedies out of the way, Gemma. Um, or, the, or the darkness because this is what late 90s Corrie was. Um, another dark scene that stands out to me was that bit where Jim drags Liz out of the car after that army reunion back in 96, maybe, I'm going to say. This was and then beats her up. Really bad. And that, that was another infamous scene that you hadn't seen before this, was mm-hmm. it? Um, go this on. Was that, wasn't this at a petrol station in the snow? It, well, it was a snowy scene, yeah. I can't remember. It, it might have been at a petrol station. Yeah, It's just really interesting to watch the different ways that people handled stories like this in different eras and I don't want to be judgmental about it because I think that the significance of different things impress it is impressed upon you with con- like cultural consciousness about what these things really should mean so when you know we've watched Coronation Street start off where domestic like um abuse of a of a man against his wife was just comedic. Mm. You'd have Stan Damn. threatening to beat the living daylights out of Hilda because she made him think he'd won the lottery or whatever. And you're supposed to go, oh, the Ogdens, uh, what, a, what a pair of characters they are. Well, or that, well, like doesn't, that. doesn't Stan, isn't that his advice to David when he marries Irma or yeah, something? Like, like, just sure belt her one. Well, around her face <laughs> if she ever talks Terrible. back to you or something. And, then, and, and it was just like, that's just how it was or it was funny. I don't know. And then we're moving forward into the 90s where still by no means is this Mm. taken that seriously but it certainly wasn't it was very harrowing to watch and you were supposed to sympathize with Liz and you knew that Jim was being a horrible evil man 
But the difference being now is if you had this scene, this would be the end of Jim as a character. He would never, you'd never be able to sympathise with him again. They would never say anything nice. It would never, and nothing good would ever happen to Jim again on the show. Whereas this was depicted as Jim just losing his temper with Liz and then he moves on and perhaps she forgives him, etc. or whatever. You know, they get divorced. But we, the show doesn't hold a no. grudge against... This is what I'm trying to say. The show doesn't hold a grudge against Jim for doing this. Mm. It just felt like, although we sympathised with the situation and we felt sorry for Liz and this was a terrible thing that Jim did, this wasn't like... This didn't define Jim as a character in the same way they would do now. So if you take, for example, Jeff, once he started abusing... Uh, Yasmin, there was no rede- redemption mm. of his character. Perhaps they would depict him as jovial and, and liked and friendly, but that would only be to, 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 as a juxtaposition between that and what he's actually really like. Do you see yeah. what I'm saying? Like, like this, didn't, this wasn't what Jim is really like because he beats Liz up. This was just another facet of his character. It was all very much in character, though, and, and, and what we get instead of the, you know, get rid of Jim is, is seeing him going through that and then going to his lowest ebb. Yeah. Ch- Charlie Lawson did some amazing performances you'd in this era. You'd never get this now. You'd never get Jim... you never get Jim beating Liz up and then us sympathising with him as he deals with his, like, being disabled. Yeah, because they, they have, obviously, they have them split up. They have... I mean, there's, there's a brilliant scene as well where it's not long after the, the beating up of Liz where he breaks into number 11, doesn't he? And he is, he is so terrifyingly angry isn't he um he charlie lawson can be uh, you know when he's being ang- in the angry jim and he's bursting through the back of number 11 he's like he, he's so so compelling a character and he gets dragged off by the police and uh yeah and, and he's just incredible i i would have i would say that this particular period of five years isn't a golden era for the mcdonald's I found that, I mean, Andy leaves, what, 98? And his character has certainly run its course. Steve, um, he's going through his kind of nasty, kind of gangstery phase with a scruffy beard at this point. I didn't really like him. He kind of lost that comedic edge. Liz, she also goes through a few things with some gangsters, which I don't think we particularly watched together, but I never found that interesting. But through it all, I did really, really enjoy watching Jim um, and, and seeing him... Yeah, go go to his lowest point, and that's which included, as you alluded to earlier, when he gets pushed off the um, scaffolding at the building site yeah. and ends up in that wheelchair. And that wonderful, wonderful scene with him and Maud, which I remember thinking, kind of blew my socks off at the time. Yeah. Watching it again it was just incredible. The performances that Elizabeth Bradley and Charlie Lawson gave, where where Maud's there, she basically she sees Jim. Um, in the previous episode, I think, trying to wheel himself in front of Mike Baldwin's car to try and kill himself. And she comes along and says, I'll help you kill yourself if you want to. And, then, yeah. and over the course of this conversation, which is like maybe the first scene of the episode, which you don't usually get such hard-hitting scenes right early on in episodes, no. she kind of makes him see that, you know, what what would the old Jim think of you? If you, you still know your army number and everything. Yeah. And um, and this was a... Are you, yeah, go on. This was a really powerful scene. This was a really powerful scene between two characters that would never normally talk to each other. Yes. But I don't think this scene would ever happen now. Why? Because, number one, I don't think they would redeem Jim. They would certainly not make us sympathise with him anymore Mm. than they would do because um, of the changing perceptions about domestic violence and... I don't want... I I want people to make up their own minds in their heads about what they think what the appropriate thing to do 
is because I'm not saying the 90s was the best way to deal with it and I'm not saying that now is the best way to deal with it I want people to think in their minds about whether they think what what they think is the best way to deal with a character like Jim or like Jeff mm. okay the other thing is you cannot always <laughs> uh common sense somebody out of being suicidal <laughs> okay Maybe when somebody's feeling a bit dramatic and feeling sorry for themselves, this would work, okay? So this situation between Maud and and Jim, this was what he needed. This was what he needed. Yeah, because we'd she seen the in right the previous person. weeks him just, him sort of failing with his with his wheelchair, yeah, getting angry, frustrated. really frustratingly angry about not being able to, you know, to be the fit young man that he exactly. used to be. But... But now, I don't think Coronation Street would have that kind of scene. And I, I would agree that now is not the time for that kind of thing. Because you can't, you can't just talk somebody out of what he was going through unless they're that exact kind of person in that exact kind of situation. Because we know a lot more about mental health now than we did then. And we know a lot more about how to deal with somebody who's going through something as traumatic as what he was going through. Maybe that would still work on Jim. Or maybe he needs somebody professional to help him deal with his Well, problems. sadly for him, the only professional he got was Michael, the uh, physiotherapist, who ends Not up having really it off helpful, with Liz, no. and then she disappears off. And again, I, 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 I barely... But you what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, at the time... Um, but this probably is what has contributed to a misunderstanding of, of how to deal with mental health issues in this country. Mm. That kind of thing where... And I'm not going to knock it because it was a really great scene. It was really powerful stuff. It was well acted. It was well written. It felt really honest and real at the time. But we know better now. Mm. You see? And so Coronation Street is always having to struggle with creating dramatic and compelling scenes, but also making sure to not be misleading and not also, not being um, irresponsible with the, the power that they have to shape people's opinions and... Um, lead people down to down in an appropriate pathway to deal with the issues that they're having and i in no way do i think coronation street should always be like this is the model way to behave and it really annoys me when people act like because that's what they're trying to say you know when they say oh so i can't believe that so-and-so said this about that that's awful you shouldn't ever say this to somebody blah 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 mm. that really frustrates me but i do think they're a bit more conscious about it than they were before yeah yeah and um but you know if you if you brush away the whole <laughs> the whole social responsibility and what is what what should you actually really say to somebody in this situation? It was just a really great scene, mm. and I don't think you could have something like that now. Maud was such a brilliant character, and the fact that she was able to hang on for the uh, to the show two years after yeah. Maureen left, when she was literally she was just just brought in as the cantankerous mum, the thorn in Reg Holsworth's side, she carried on as a you know fairly. You know, for for somebody of her age, a fairly important character and a, and a, a very wise <sighs> advice giving yeah um, sage yeah, but but with a bit of a cheeky humour as well. Like that when when Fred well, when takes she, over yeah. the over the shop and she she hides a bit of fish inside the shop and and, and Fred's trying to worry where the, wonder where the stink comes from. She oh, oh but then we and then you get your um what was it the the the, the other episode that we saw with Maud recently where she's going out with. What's his face? Sydney yeah. from the retirement home. Who um, Fred and Audrey end up taking out for a drive because they want to check out what he's like. Because what are intentions on a ride? 
Yeah, and then he ends up dying. That was a hilarious episode where he's this dead guy in the back of the car. They're driving through the countryside and then Audrey is trying to talk to him and realises they've got a dead man in the back of the seat and they pull over in the middle of the the moors or wherever they are in the beautiful countryside and she's fretting about the fact that they've got this corpse in the back. And it's all going to look terrible for her because she's a counsellor. Yeah, she's worrying about her reputation and she also doesn't want a dead man in the back. And then is it... Who is it um, driving? uh, Fred. Oh, but Fred was driving. driving, yeah. Fred yeah. was driving, yeah. So they and they go back to they go back to They go back house. to Mayfield they go back to Mayfield Court, don't they? They retire in the home. Well and, that's and, where he lives, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. So they go Fred's back house. there and then the policeman comes. No, Maud's there at first, yeah, aren't Maud's they? There. And they have to duck down and then yes. Sydney's dead body kind of collapses over to one side. Yeah, so he just she didn't see his in the And car. then the policeman comes and like, Hello, Councillor what, Roberts. Are you alright? And she's like, Oh yes, we're just <laughs> he's, he's so tucked out. That that felt like it was a kind of classic comedy caper. Yeah, it was. Which which is definitely a lot rarer in modern Coronation Street. But then, yeah, at the end of the episode, um, when Maud finds out that her, her fiancé is, is dead, again, another brilliant, brilliant performance. And, and she's now gone, hasn't she? She leaves the end of 99. We didn't see her last episode. No. But um, really, really wonderful character. Um, let's, talk about, let's talk about some of the other um, characters that we had to say goodbye to during this era, because... There was quite a lot, weren't there? Um, there were a lot of really iconic characters. That a were. lot of them because of Brian Park. But if I would look, so so normally, you know, I think actually we're moving into an era where post this time, when you say who left this year, you can come up with five or six names of people that your people said, um, I don't know who that is. But this year, this, this, this group of five years, we said goodbye to Reg, Bet. Alf, Raquel, Don, Percy, Derek, Mavis, Maureen. Lots of big, big names. Though these are all characters that still, I would say, a Cory fan would know, recognise and say these were big icon characters. Mm. I mean, Reg ends up leaving fairly... I think he's like autumn of 95. He kind of really... He does. He really slips off, doesn't he? Um, Because he has... That final story, which I did find hilarious when he was accused of being the Red Reg Flasher and he has that identity parade scene, doesn't he? Yeah. When you've got all these other Reg lookalikes lined up next to him and he's standing there next to the guy who is the Flasher and as the this this old lady is walking down the liner, Reg is like going, it was him, trying to make her see yeah. who it was and just makes himself look more guilty and she picks him, of course, instead. But then, you know, within weeks of that, he's off to Lowestoft and we never see him again, which is... So a, he- if you um yeah it's a shame but if you if you look at say culturally what's going on at the in the middle of the the end of the nineties Austin Powers um that came out in nineteen ninety seven and that lampooned this kind of British seaside raucous man chases woman to to like goose her bum kind of comedy yeah. and he epitomised that on Coronation Street he was the slapstick boob guy of Coronation Street and and. Austin I can't Powers imagine him making fun of that was the death of that kind of comedy being taken seriously. I can't imagine at all Reg in the nineteen ninety nine Coronation no. Street. It it wasn't it his era. Work. I mean, he'd be there. We just watched an episode where uh, some of the fresh goes lot go rambling on the moors in the middle of the night, don't we? So there was Curly, Nita Desai, um, Alma, Alma, Ken, who's working as a trolley pusher at that time, Fred. Yeah. Um, and although Ashley. that was there as uh, Ashley as well, although that was there as a comedy caper light, although I didn't find it particularly funny, I, I just I just can't imagine 
Reg doing that, it, 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 his his era was gone. Well, he would have completely I, dominated the entire thing. Yeah, and, and as it was, been... Fred did. And Fred was a kind of a Reg replacement, but toned down a little bit. Yeah. Because when Fred came into it in 94, he was also a massive perv, wasn't he? Lusting after Audrey. There's a certain element between Reg and, and Fred where Reg was the butt of jokes, but also I think people who... He, he was the butt of jokes, but he also had a bit of power in his own right. Whereas Fred, I felt like, was always a bit of a, a pompous idiot and nobody sympathised with him. I don't know, I well, don't like, know. They sympathised with his, with his humane hum, humanity and his human side, but... I don't know. I just think, I think, that, that, I think that Reg appealed to a different group of people than, than Fred did, where you're laughing more at Fred and Reg kind of felt like he was more in charge of the jokes. Yeah. I don't know if that maybe. makes any sense. Where I uh, think that it was more he was more self aware and I think that he was like the carry on Coronation Street. Fred had more guy. sides to him. He was a lot more rounded of a character. He he had some really articulated he had some really yeah. brilliant dramatic scenes, like when we saw the scenes where Ashley finds out that Fred is actually his dad. What brilliant! How proud he was at Ashley's wedding. Mm. Um, so yeah. uh, he he had he. Whereas Reg, every scene pretty much, Ken Morley you now hammed up to the you know to to yeah to the highs, um, and it was just. It, and and I loved watching him. Whereas Fred, he he would have you know the the serious scenes as well. There was a confidence in the in the humor around Reg, that that made me think that they knew that nobody would really challenge this as being funny or say this was inappropriate. Whereas I felt there was a bit more self awareness with um with Fred. Like we know that this is not the dominant. He's not like the main comedic point of the show. Yeah, no, yeah, I can, I can. But like the joke became, isn't this stupid? Mm. Isn't the fact that people find this funny stupid? Reg never had that. It was just as if, you know, it was played completely, I know this is going to sound stupid, but it was played straight. Like this is the joke. The joke is he's a pervert. Yeah. The joke is he's, he's molesting Maureen in the bed. That's the joke. Whereas with, with Fred, it was more like, it's funny that Fred doesn't get how preposterous he is. I think I see, yeah, I think I think I don't know what you mean. It, I'm not, I don't know if that was 100% for both of those characters, but I, I really do think that something shifted in between those two characters about how the jokes were received. Mm. I think um, when I think about Fred as well in the time, one of my... F- favourite Fred moments was after Maureen leaves him and that that was another example of how John Savadon could play the the tragedy the drama (laughs) so so well because more this is a week after he's got married to Maureen and then she hops off in the in the back of a taxi with Bill Webster which is a really sweet (laughs) ending as, as as scandalous as it was but then for the for the following week Fred like Closes oh, himself yeah. off from the world, and he's there he's smoking there on his like, cigars, with a, like, isn't he? Giant, like a cigarette with like a massive long bit of ash on yeah. the end of it, just ready to fall. Like his life shirt. has fallen apart, and and Maud, like Maud and Ashley are trying to get through to him. Um, yeah, he he was such a wonderful, Very wonderful morbid. character. And and. Uh, Another thing about it's him... So totally overdramatic in camp as well. He was so imposing and very Shakespearean. I yeah. really say, I really would say that he 
he um yeah theatrical is definitely a good like, word but his his you know repeating himself and even like when he, every so often he'd have these little moments where he'd take somebody around this arm and then turn around and say now see and have these little <laughs> these little loud private conversations yeah. with them I, I i loved but Fred. again you know talking about oh is coronation you know we're kind of insinuating here coronation street takes a bit of a turn for more realism in this era than it did yeah but imagine Fred now in Coronation Street. Again, we've shifted further away from that kind of character. Mm. And you still have people that are larger than life, like Mary, for example. But, you know, how how dramatic, how um, how singular would Mary have been in the 90s? I don't know. She would have just been another comedy character mm. in, a, in a cast of really colour, colourful, outrageous people. Whereas now, she's probably one of the most outrageously colourful people on the show. Yeah. Another person that talking about outrageously colourful people, Dev. Dev is introduced in the very oh, yeah. last. We've seen few like episodes. two episodes of him in, haven't we? A completely different kind of person. I mean, he's, there's proto Dev a little bit. His voice is different. It is. It does sound a bit different. But he was still a real charmer, wasn't he? He's a he smooth was still talker. A, yeah, he's and it's still funny seeing what Dev is now. He kind of believes that he still is a player because yeah. back then he actually was, yeah. and he was this, you know, this handsome, smooth talker, Talk, big businessman with his flash car coming yeah. in to save the corner shop. And yeah, and, and, and his relative. As I say, we've only seen a bit of it, but I don't know whether there was the same element of comedy with Dev then as there is now I guess we'll have to see a little bit more of him but that was that was quite cool seeing him I know a lot of people talk about you know how the the kind of the value of a woman drops after the age of 35 at a radical degree due to the her kind of losing her looks and I'm using you know I'm being sarcastic here but you know women over a certain age certainly lose their I don't know their value <laughs> but people like Dev <laughs> They continue to think that they're still like, you know, the the big I am. Mm. But instead of sort of losing relevancy like a woman would do, he just becomes the butt of jokes because he's like past it, but he doesn't realise that he is. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and the same thing with Steve, where they think they're, you know, the cock of the walk, but... He's just, yeah. They're just a bit of a old man. So Dev came in alongside, or just a little bit after, um, the rest of the Desai family, didn't they? Which was Coronation Street, or one of their attempts to say, look how modern we are. Diversify We've got an Asian family. Cast. I know they're running a corner shop, which is maybe a little bit stereotypical. And I think the actress, I read something earlier, the actress who played Nita Desai kind of spoke about that and said, well, the thing is, a lot of Asian, a lot of Asian people do run corner shops. Well, a lot really of corner shops are run by Asian families. So it actually is realistic. Thing, like, you know, how far do you represent what life is like versus what a stereotype is and Mm. what's the difference really and are you being is it responsible i don't know it's really difficult because yeah i I, so far the desires haven't you know, haven't made work? much of an impression, have they? I mean, we had Ravi Desai, who was the dad. I think we maybe saw him in two episodes, he and he wife. was another one of these larger than life characters, wasn't he? Like, Nito, my darling. I think Coronation Ravi. Street has done well with keeping Dev, but their first attempts of it with the Desai's just didn't particularly work. Rick Cram's not really they done that much, has he? And he's the one that lasts the longest. Nita Desai, gosh, she was dull. We've seen quite a lot of her, actually, haven't we? You're five, six episodes, maybe, of her. What's her personality? She's just dull and intelligent and she she knows a bit about business she's very um, much she's a bit got a stick up of her bum freeman of she is totally the angie freeman the of of the of the late 90s angie Fre- she came back and then hung around for a few years didn't she in the mid 90s 
And then we just kept, whenever she came on screen, we were like, have you not gone yet, Angie? I really didn't like Angie. I found she her... She was so bland. And I know she's got her bland. fans. She has got her, her really? admirers, Angie Freeman has, but I just cannot see it. She didn't do anything of any note of, or interest or anything, Angie Freeman. She just, she was, to me, she was the start of the bland, pointless characters that then continued <laughs> with the likes of Samantha Failsworth, for Can example. I just say... To me, this felt like Coronation Street trying to address another stereotype or try to right some wrongs, perhaps, as and represent a creative, single, young woman trying to make her way in the world in the 90s. We're talking Angie here. Angie. And they, they, they kind of failed because they were trying to pander to a group of people without making... A story or a character interesting and compelling that's what it felt like to me like a bit patronizing because she was boring because i think that they were trying to make her into something to represent a group of people mm. and that's always the danger with coronation street or any soap where you have a you you have you try to represent a group of people that aren't being represented properly and and instead you just insult a lot of them all at once yeah because coronation street isn't about young single businesswoman is it not quite no no so that's why angie was a bit boring mm. yeah she was but like like i was saying she she wasn't the only bland character of the time and and i i don't remember when when we watched in the 60s 70s and 80s there being quite so many stories or characters where i would just kind of switch off when it came on and anything to do with angie i was like not interested i don't really know what she even did no and then samantha felsworth was the other one that i mentioned yeah she she was in it for two years or so and she's a sexy lady and she went away yeah and then and then she she caused a bit of problem she caused a bit of trouble with natalie horrocks before she went but i I, she played by tina hobley i think and i didn't remember finding her interesting at all the first time round. and she's one of the there's there's been a few characters where when i've watched it this time round, i've been like oh i didn't i didn't appreciate them the first time i quite like them now but with samantha failsworth it's like no utterly dull and she and and she and des gets involved with her towards the end as well doesn't he and uh, i I remember not really liking Des back in the 90s, but when we saw him in the early 90s, when he was having his um, his cheeky chappy times and his his pranks, playing pranks on the Wiltons and everything, he was all right. But once, um, yeah, once we got into the second half of the 90s, Des just didn't, just, just lost it. He was just a waste of space. And then he gets involved with Natalie, who I also didn't particularly enjoy. Um, his death was all right, but I was certainly, you know, once he'd gone, I wasn't, wishing for Des to come back at all. I think as well it was the fact that once um, the Wiltons left, he lost any kind of purpose that he ever had. Um, I enjoyed... It was quite poignant seeing Des's final scene with Derek because he goes... Des goes sailing off in his barge at one point, doesn't he? And mm. unbeknownst to them, that would be the last time they'd, have, they'd ever see each other again. Um, but yeah, oh, wasn't Derek's death sad? Yes. But he's, he's driving home. You didn't know. The the episode that we were watching, I knew that that was going to be Derek's <laughs> death and I hadn't told you. No, I know. And it was Mavis's 60th birthday party, I think. I know. Sometimes I will not know that the episode we're watching is... I never tell you thing, this is the episode where something's going to happen. But I will know the circumstances surrounding whatever it is and I'll know that it's going to come up. So I remember when it was Mavis's party, I went... Oh, dear. I thought... I couldn't remember whether it was the party that made you think or when we literally saw him driving. I don't know. Driving home, and then there's this this prat in the car behind him that's honking at him, and yeah. it's like, 
and I think around that that must have been when you're like oh this is the moment isn't it and yeah. you have Derek with his road rage incident and the, the guy's making fun of the giant paperclip on the top of his car and everything oh it's so so sad and oh pomp pompous Derek gets all the fluster and then yeah. just conks out on the seats of the car and and then there's this um this classic music uh, tip willow or something yeah, is playing tip willow, and, willow. and it's just uh, like perfect folk song. yeah perfectly tragically stupid death for Derek. Really, i'll tell you what it was that selection of that track felt very deliberate to me from the perspective of Derek being probably was percy was gone by this point um not quite no he lasted another eight nine months he or really so. felt like that kind of little englander you know that kind of Royal Britannia sort of Brit I don't know was Derek too young to fight in the war he must have been yeah that kind of guy that takes credit for the empire and loves British things without really kind of critically examining what that means and revels in kind of because Mavis and Derek were a joke, weren't they? Yeah, and and that was and that kind of middle class aspirational kind of idea, and you know having your conservatory and champagne out of a wine glass and all this kind of stuff. That track kind of epitomised that that idea, and I certainly don't. You know, there's nothing wrong with being that kind of person if you want to take pride in in things that you had no hand in. Now, Fatter, you know, <laughs> there are plenty of other people that do very similar things to that but it just kind of felt like it was um such a deliberate choice of that classic folk song nobody in cory now would have that kind of personality no there's nobody like that now in coronation street nobody that you know would go yes i'm going to join oh maybe roy would or like join the what they call the morris dancers or Mm. you know that very 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 traditional yeah turn of the century kind of british stuff yeah it was it was a pro- it was an end of an era when derek left and, and maybe it's not long after derek's funeral brilliant about, effort. Oh, go on. i was gonna say if you think about coronation street you know all the all the shows we've watched often you well not often but from time to time they would sing songs or refer to folk stories or very very kind of enid blyton sort of stuff mm. that's gone now that's completely gone yeah. that kind of era of britishness yeah yeah I and, did and, what... and for all and you know derek really symbolized quite a lot of the negative aspects of of that but also you know he wasn't a bad guy all in all no he wasn't he was the butt of so many jokes yeah. like you said and, and that's brought up at his funeral isn't it which is i, I loved it when um ken's Ah, uh, Mavis asked Ken to say some words at the funeral, and he doesn't know what to say. And but then when his friend is called up to speak, then Der- um, Norris pops up and he's like, "I'll do it." And then he gets, does this speech about um, basically saying what a rubbish wife Mavis was, and uh, she's ashamed uh, or, or just so, so embarrassed by it all. And, and over the course of the episode, she just gets angrier and angrier at Norris and everybody else basically who spend the wake kind of having a laugh at Derek's expense. And then the yeah. speech that she gives where she says what. Well, thank you for all those words that you said about him, whether you meant them or not, it doesn't matter because they were true and it was so wonderful seeing her stand up for the memory of Derek. It reminded me of when Hilda stood up for Stan when everyone thought he was the peeper. It was very similar to that. And And it is, you know, there's quite a lot of characters in Coronation Street that we're invited to laugh at 
for various reasons, you know, maybe they're not as clever as we think we are. Maybe they're not as sophisticated as we think we are. Maybe they like things that are a bit passe and a bit cliched. But they're also still human beings and, you know, yeah. they don't they don't like these things to annoy you or spite you. It's just how they are and what they like. And yeah. maybe Mavis likes to sit in the garden and, like, sketch a still-life bowl of fruit and you might think that's funny. Or, what you know, uh, rescue a fox from being shot because she cares about animals. Just let them get on with it. That's mm. that's kind of the moral of the story to me that I thought. The Derek and Mavis story is like, yeah, it is funny, but you don't have to laugh at them in their face. <laughs> you can have a little sneer and a titter behind their backs, but it doesn't make you better than they are just because you don't like to sit in your garden and look at daisies. <laughs> I mean, what the hell do you think makes you so superior? That's an, that's an, there are another couple of characters where I think, would, would they have worked in Brian Park's new era or was he right to get rid of Derek? Because Mavis wanted to leave anyway. Or, sorry, Thelma Bala wanted to leave and that's why he decided to, Brian Park decided well, to get rid of Peter Baldwin as well. Every has its own group of people that, you know, we're supposed to find pretentious but really it's the people that find them pretentious that are really the pretentious ones aren't they <laughs> yeah. um 1997 that was the era when that was the year when lots of characters left so billy williams we I he didn't get an exit or he died off screen like a few years later i think and he was, was gone that was husband. betty's husband but um the 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 best and they reminded me very much of um modern day arthur and evelyn where they were separated mm. due to oh yeah yeah you know, the war or whatever. Yeah. Like, that was, child, that was like, sweet when he came back. Sweetheart separated by 50 years. Yeah, because he, he, he arrives on VE Day, doesn't he? And yeah. that was in this this section that we watched. Um, that, that was quite nice, but, you know, fairly inconsequential in the end. No, my favourite death of... Well, my favourite week of this whole era, I think, was Don's death which was like September, maybe October 1997. And I made you watch like a string of five or yeah. six episodes. This was a proper rampage. This was a, this was brilliant. And, this um, was Coronation Street does Grand Theft Auto. It was. Um, <laughs> it was just so like at this running point, around punching people out of cars and driving into canals. Yeah, so yeah, well, that, that was a different week, wasn't it? Because that was back in April or so where Don kidnaps Alma. And we, basically since Ivy leaves, we get to see... Don's decline into madness and it was in a way it was Don in 1997 was a very different character to how he was when he came in in the, in the late 80s I'm going to say but it felt very very believable how he would you know take this this steady decline and he, he's he's uh, he's mad at Mike so he kidnaps Alma that there were some brilliant episodes that like, there was there was almost there was like two or three episodes that were all set on the same night where they're driving through the yeah. um, and and then they do a canal dive like four four five six years before Richard Tillman does it. I know. Don does it first. Brilliant stuff. But yeah, the the week where he dies at this point, he's already been diagnosed with cancer. He knows that he's not got le- long left to go. And when he he escapes out of the um at the hospital and he's kind of roaming the streets and it just felt very very tense and on edge like he goes he goes stalking after Alma for a bit he goes to see Sarah Louise at school doesn't he and and she hasn't yeah. seen her granddad for all this time and she she she's how old is she at this point 10 maybe 9 10 she's got no idea what a dangerous crazy man that he's become and then they go off for a little walk together and um what did she say something like He's like, I can't, I've got to go now, Sarah Louise. I've got something to do. And she says, oh, is it going to be fun? And he's like, I'm going to like it. And it was so 
chilling. That that week was really, really chilling stuff. He he and oh, he also goes to um the graveyard, doesn't he, to see Ivy's yeah. grave, and then um Emily's there looking at Ernest's grave, and he's kind of acting just. Yeah, that's right. A she's bit tending, insane, isn't she? She's tending the grave. And she's just there by chance, and yeah. he's just like there looking and uh, yeah. And oh, and he goes to see Ashley in the butcher shop, doesn't he? And he's, there's the knife there. Yeah. He takes the knife off of the side, and it's like, what are you going to do with this, Don? And he gives Ashley a hug, and he's like, you're going to stab Ashley in the back. And, and Ashley kind of takes the knife off of him because a- Ashley was the person that had been wronged by Don because Don had said oh, he was the one that set fire to the factory earlier in this year when it was actually Don who did it himself. But that, that week, honestly, that was, I think that was my favourite single week of Coronation Street, possibly since, well, when the 1983. Ken, Deirdre, Mike, Love Triangle, where it was just banger after banger of episodes. And that, that also coincided with um, with Fred and Maureen and Bill and that whole saga there. But I I love that so much. But so it, it just was unrelentingly tense. And I love that about Coronation Street when it, when it really yeah, it was grips tense, you like that. Yeah, re- and, and then he ends up crashing his car into the viaduct, doesn't he? Because he, he, um, he kidnaps Mike, bashes him around the head with... Um, uh, a chair leg or something I can't remember then gets into his car drives into the viaduct explodes in a ball of flame it was brilliant and it just um, Brian Park brought sensationalism to yeah, Coronation Street in a big way and, and that really epitomised it and yeah. yes it was a bit silly and everything but um, I absolutely absolutely loved that one of the other things that we haven't spoken about was Deirdre? Do you mean to talk, just talk about the Deirdre? Love yes, because that that started. Deirdre had a pretty ropey time, didn't she, during this this period? Because this was when Samir dies; he gets killed. Yeah, right at the beginning. Yeah, right That's at the very tragic beginning. Stuff. So, so Samir was um, her immigrant husband, yeah, Moroccan husband. Yeah, who came over and um, he was younger than she was, very sweet, unassuming man who offered to donate his kidney yeah that's to right to tracy tracy because she tracy had uh, taken bad ecstasy. ecstasy and so he was on his way to donate his kidney when he gets jumped he gets by accosted a down by the canal doesn't racist he? by the canal and um he gets wheeled off uh, to to surgery and she has to sort of kiss him goodbye oh that was tragic wasn't it when when the last time that she sees him and he's, he's there about to be harvested basically and she, oh, and she did, to, yeah, because Deirdre goes through the ringer. It was this, a really interesting years. story too, because if it had not, she had not known that that those organs were going to Tracy, how differently would she have reacted? Mm. And you know, the guilt also of thinking, am I going to be pleased in any way that this has benefited my daughter? I don't, you know, awful. Mm. Then also, she goes straight from that into John Lindsay. Yeah, she has a bit of a break, doesn't she, for a few years, but the John Lindsay storyline starts late 97 as well. And, um, and you didn't was, you didn't see a whole lot of it, no, did you? this was the very famous... This was probably one of Corrie's most famous storylines of all time, only yeah. because of the press coverage, and that was... Th- the Weatherfield one. It felt when I was watching it on ITV3 um, early this year or late last year, I can't remember, it felt like it was a big deal. It was a it was a proper long-running, twisty-turny storyline, which they, they do a lot of now, but up until that point felt quite novel and, and unique yeah. for Coronation Street and, ha- and having this villain in who... And we hadn't seen a proper, proper decent villain since Alan Bradley, maybe. Yeah. Um, this was, you know, eight years later. But watching her fall for his traps and um, 
just believing everything he says, get so taking the gold. He gives her the gold card. He he tells her he's a pilot. Yeah, actually, he just works at a tie shop. And the manipulation in and the lies. Yeah, the lies that he tells her to and convince her. He makes her. her take out loans and stuff. Yeah, so they get money, and he builds this fantasy world where they're gonna live in a fancy house and. Do I all love this. the scene where Ken spots him at the tie shop, and it zooms right into Ken. It's like a dolly Ken's zoom like, almost, wasn't it? Like, what this? is this? Yeah, Ken. Ken. This was the birth of Ken as like the um the off duty detective, isn't it? Because he goes and he speaks to one of. John's colleagues who works at the tie shop and kind yeah. of fishes for information. Oh, Mr. Yeah, and um, he he's there all the time. Just him and um, uh, Mike are there supporting Deirdre, but also waiting for her to, you know, go, oh, you rescued me. Let's have sex. The whole time. They're yeah. so thirsty. And she's there going, oh, no, I'm going to go to prison. And they're like, yeah, but what about a shag before? Because I helped you out, didn't I? I got you a lawyer and everything. Mike's paying for for the, for the her... Um, yeah, for illegal fees. Alma and, doesn't like that. And, and Yeah, Alma doesn't like that. And, and uh, Ken's there going, I helped you find out that he bought that brandy from Furman's Freezer. It's not from wherever he's you know yeah. it's a exotic location he, he yeah. got it from and at the, and there's also we i think we spoke about this during the prisons discussion so i won't get into it too much but the sort of depiction of deirdre in prison was probably the best story they've ever done that's been set in a prison in my yeah. opinion yeah absolutely just the, the the way how awful the conditions were it just felt how it real. affected deirdre how mentally realistic it actually was i don't know but she actually you know, it wasn't just like, here's a new set for you, Deirdre. It was like, literally, you are in prison now. You're going to have to stay here. And you know, and you, you, didn't, never, did, you didn't do, do anything. <laughs> and also, you did never, you never expected you to end up here. No. A lot of the time on Coronation Street, where the characters go to prison, you sort of expect, you know, they're like, oh, in and out. You know, oh, my brother's here. Or, yeah, my mum did time, whatever. Yeah. Deirdre was like, I don't belong here. I'm a good girl. I didn't do anything wrong. Everyone's yeah. being And she's mean got that, that horrible um, officer, Vitra, she called, who um, was trying, a bit of a realist, really, saying, look, you're in here. Everyone says that they you didn't, didn't do, do anything. anything. Doesn't so doesn't matter to gr- me whether you yeah. did it or not. But then you got Jackie Dobbs, who a lot of people hate, but we absolutely <laughs> adore. And we got to see a few choice episodes of Jackie's where she's, um, she kind of, she helps Deirdre out, but also helps her see that you can't, you can't just go around saying you didn't do anything. She she helped to toughen well, up, really. Yeah, she's like really. Yeah, she's like here you are. Get on with it. This yeah. is what you got to do. She, she did punch like, Beach in the chest, which was good. Liverpudlian kind of glamour put. She looked like Marilyn Marilyn Monroe, and she sounded like one of the Beatles. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely loved her. We she when when Deirdre comes out of prison, she Jackie turns up for a little bit. We didn't see much of post prison Jackie, did we? Before she, she swans off again, but she Tyrone she did. Oh, show. little Tyrone. So How old is he? Fifteen or so. And in the introduction of Tyrone reminded me so much of how Craig was introduced to the show as it is almost exactly the same story. Layabout Chavy Mum turns up with her big lumpy Yeah, because the first scene that Tyrone's in he's playing his Game Boy on the he's sofa, isn't he? Playing Kirby. He's a little chubby kid. And he's, he's so little chubby. Just he just want to go, oh, on his cheeks. Just a sack of spuds, isn't he? He, does, yeah. he gives about as much emotion and reaction as a sack of spuds do, would do. Same with Craig. Craig was a, a bit of a goon, wasn't he? he yeah, was definitely. He was just goon a lug. Who just sat around and, and grunted. 
Yeah, but we've seen over the course of the next year, Tyrone has really blossomed as a character, isn't he? Well, he he gets se- a bit of a horn to... dog going after Toya for he a bit. He to sexually harass Toya for a little bit. But uh, you can see why the nation fell in love with Tyrone and Alan Hulsell, just being such a cheeky, lovable little kid, didn't you? Well, again, so... from I can only speak from the episodes that I've actually seen, but it seems like... Monica was the making of him because it gave him something to Oh, Monica, on. we've seen a few episodes of her <clears throat> so with So Monica her, was we? the greyhound that he yeah. gets um, as a pet. Yeah, he uh, had it... I can't remember whether we saw how he got her. And we know that he acquires this greyhound and then finds out that he uh, she belongs to someone else, but then that we saw the yeah. owner didn't want her, so he gets to keep her. Yeah. And he's and so he excited about her. it. And, um, and there's, it? like, a really sweet scene where they're talking about there's a race coming up later on the day, and, and Tyrone's like, yeah, yeah, I told her all about it, she's a bit nervous, and the guy's like, she's a dog, she doesn't know that she's <laughs> going to have a race. Yeah, and, and we've, the episodes we've just watched, Monica's just been hit by a car, hasn't she? Oh, so what's going to happen? Don't think she's going to be racing again. Yeah, little little Tyrone was uh, was wonderful. That was it was great seeing his character again. Who else have we seen that's new that's made him? Oh, we haven't really talked Roy and Haley yet, have we? And Roy comes into it in '95, I think, and we, we we saw his very first episode where he's just in one scene where he's bizarrely smiley and definitely a lot creepier than he turns yeah. out to be. I think he was. It seems like he was introduced as a bit of a joke character who lives at the flats that Deirdre's staying in at that time but um over the course of the next few years he integrates into the street a lot more he becomes he's closer to the Roy kind of the the worldly wise a little bit autistic maybe but obviously it's never been said um uh, but still lovable character that he has grown to be and still is now and I think that um a lot of what turned him into that was when Haley came along, and oh god, I love Haley. She's she's definitely one of my favourites. She's in my top ten characters. So so Haley's story was really interesting in this because yeah we have the introduction to Haley and we don't know her backstory originally. No, not at first. She's working at Furman's Freezers with Alma, and she gets fixated she, on Alma. Yeah, she's obsessed with Alma, because who she and kind she of sees as the role model of womanhood yeah, that she should try and, and kind emulate. Of stalks her a little bit. I mean, if you want to, you've already got short hair. All you need to do is pop your collars, and immediately your Alma, your Alma. <laughs> so she, she kind of, and then Alma gets really uncomfortable, and she's like, "You have got to back off a little bit." And Haley realizes that she's been a bit weird. Yeah, so Alma then, then sets her up with... Well, she means to set her up with Curly, doesn't she? She organises this dinner party and she wants mm. to push Curly and, um, and Haley together. But then Roy turns up as... Well, I can't remember why. But, um, yeah, they end up... They're both very unsophisticated oddballs that just kind of fall in with each other. And yeah, they end Roy... up going back to the Rovers together afterwards, yeah. don't they? And Alma's there really going, and, you, and we didn't see much of the initial stages of their blossoming romance on the DVDs, but having just watched it on ITV3, it really is super sweet. And they they like help each they like um, help each other out with the the Red Wreck protest and everything. It is really absolutely gorgeous. And then you get the moment where Haley reveals her past to Roy and the fact that she wasn't born in this body and uh, and and uh, Roy's yeah. reaction just kind of shutting her down and not wanting anything to do with her is tragic because yeah. this love's beautiful love story, very, very similar to um, Nina and Seb, kind of, especially Nina with the oddballness of it and very and the sweetness of it and it coming oh. together very quickly. And then it feels like it's like it could be over because not long after that, Haley disappears off to Amsterdam and we don't see her for another couple of months. But then we get the brilliant Amsterdam episodes in July 98, um, where hey, Roy goes over there, he's like umming and ahhing about whether to go. And even when he goes there, he tells Haley, "Oh, I just came over and I, 
for for some other reason and and I thought I'd pop by and see you while you're there but you know that he's actually can't get her out of his mind I love the scene as well before she goes off to Amsterdam I don't know whether we watched this or whether it was just me where he gives like got this leaving present for her and he she unwraps it and it's this dry old book about trains or whatever and she has to act thankful for it but then she opens it up and he's put a little pendant inside or something it's so adorable um and obviously at the end of the Amsterdam episodes he he can't bring himself to say that he wants her to come back with him. She, she? is there, go, basically really like, oh, I'll I'll come with you, but you've got to commit. Yeah. To me, and he doesn't get it, or he doesn't want to, or he's he just confused. can't. He he struggles with his feelings she goes and his over emotions there as well for her sexual reassignment surgery. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So that's why she's gone, and it obviously is very complicated for Roy to work through not just these feelings of romance for somebody, but also what does this he think This is so about? out of his comfort zone and, and this was also, his understanding of life in general. Also for people watching as well. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. is a very, you know, this was a groundbreaking story. This was um, a very instrumental in uh, sort of trans rights in this yeah, country. Yeah, the acceptance. People that... understanding what it means and, and what we should, you know... Yeah, which we're saying like. an awful lot of now. So, a lot of this is down to this very story. It's so, yeah, so, so groundbreaking. So Haley's Influential. Yeah. And then Roy kind of leaves. Yeah, he, he goes. And again, he leaves her a little present. He leaves her a watch or something. I can't because remember. Because he can't really communicate. He can't tell her. in person. He can no. only do it through messages. Yeah. And then we get my, one of my favourite all-time romantic scenes on Coronation Street where he's there at the, uh, at the airport and Hayley's banging on the window. She decides to follow after him and somebody behind Roy in the queue is like, I think somebody over there is, wants to speak to you. And then he, he goes over and she writes, I'm coming with you and lipstick on the window and it's backwards. And you can see him like tracing along the letters with his finger trying to work out what she's written. And this beautiful smile breaks out on his face and Roy smiles so Rarely. so s- seldomly, yeah. I just I absolutely yeah, adore it. And, and then at the end of that episode, we see her getting stopped by the, cust- the passport people, or the customs people, or don't, something, yeah. don't we? Because her passport obviously doesn't match. Well, yeah. And um, her name, I don't know if she, she's changed her I can't her remember name. whether it was still Harold on the passport or not. Well, he calls her Sir. Mm. So I imagine that her, her gender mm. on her passport doesn't match how she's presenting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and over the course of the next year or so, we see like. I think um, Mike Baldwin finds out from Alma. Oh, no, he... he... Des, uh, Les, L- yeah, Les Mike... and Mike are the two bigoted characters. Yeah, and... but they, ha- they have to have for this, this story to I'm really saying. work and Coronation it helps Street us be sympathetic, even more sympathetic towards Hayley. We have to import characters and make them up to be bigoted yeah. to, to, to sort of represent these views. Whereas Coronation Street wasn't afraid to sacrifice people or to... <clears throat> Because like... if they're thinking, what would which characters here would not get on with this? And 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 Mike and Les absolutely wouldn't. Especially Les, he'd just well, be making very fun of it. Traditional and um, you know, close-minded. And Mike and was thinking of the difficult. Simplistic. The, Mike was thinking that of the um the fact that it would have on his business because Haley's working for him at this point, and he's like, I need to. I'm going to sack Haley because what will be the workforce think? He only cares about like his it. his business and his profits and everything. And Alan was there desperately trying to get him to see her as a person, but yeah. he won't. Yeah. Um, and what I also really liked with Haley's story, well, the the proposal was um was sweet at the seventies. Uh, 
Oh yeah, we got Disco to see thing. that too. Yeah, when um, was dressed up. But also the wedding, which was a brilliant episode. But I really liked it. Um, Haley's uncle um, comes along, and he's still calling her Harold, and he's refusing to, you know, accept her. But then she sits him down and talks to him, and sort of shares her experiences and everything. And then at the end of the episode, he calls her Haley. And it's well, he very yeah, sweet. he sort of rocks up, and he's like, "Look, put your trousers on and come home," and and she says. Like, you know, oh, yeah, he does, doesn't he? Put yeah. your trousers on. Let's get home. This is silly. We'll, we'll go and play dominoes at the pub at the Legion yeah. or something. And then she and she's saying, "I'm not pretending anything. This is who I am." And this is who he, I've always and been. He, and he accepts it, and it is really like mm. he he's like, "I don't get it, but all right." Yeah, yeah, and that's the wedding where they they go up to the church, don't they? Which is that one in uh, Duckingfield <clears throat> that I, I went to visit last year, and um, Les has tipped off the press. Um, so they all scarper back to the the cafe where well, they have. Well, let's that... just put this into context here. This was not a wedding that could legally have taken place in this country. No, because there was no gender recognition or altering of your birth certificate if you are were tr- what was called a transsexual in those days, and now would be, would be called trans transgender. You couldn't change your uh, gender ID or anything, and also you couldn't marry a member of the same sex. So technically, Haley on her birth certificate was still Harold and Harold and Roy could not get married. Mm. So they and Les found... was phoning at the press saying, yeah, a couple of blokes getting married. Yeah. And it was so crazy watching that and thinking, wow, this, how much of a scandal this was. And it was only 20 years ago. So, um, they had to sort of, and what was that famous quote about the world changes? Yeah. Well, that was when they actually got married, yeah. but, but, you know, legally got married. Hey, Roy saying, the, the world changed and met us or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's really poignant and sweet. Yeah. But, um, the, the wedding that we so, saw so was lovely. So the wedding was with a, a vicar who was sympathetic to their situation yeah, and they were like a unitarian to marry vicar. them despite the situation being yeah. slightly unusual. And the fact that it would still be illegal <laughs> as well. So they, so they end up getting married in the cafe because Hayley comes down, doesn't she? And everyone's there waiting for her. It's but lovely. Can I just it's say, such a wonderful romance. It's absolutely fantastic that Roy and Hayley, if they were to meet now, would not have any opposition or any struggles. They could just go and they could get married. Fantastic. And it'd be legally recognised. Hmm. But Rana and Zidane, their marriage still would not be legally recognised unless they went and got it done in a register office and that yeah. really annoys me i have to say yeah i really find it very upsetting that religious ceremonies are only recognized for a very narrow band of religions in this country and i don't really see how people can see the di- can see the difference you know mm. why can't we recognize muslim weddings yeah i know i know i just it's, it's it feels fr- like no, that's and nobody that... seems to mind either it seems like no, nobody's talking about this maybe Maybe Muslim people don't mind about this, but I find it a bit offensive. Mm. Well, coming up in a couple of years, we'll see Dev and Sunita's Hindu wedding as well. And, like they have a civil ceremony first, and then they like the next but episode you, they have the big all singing, all dancing Hindu ceremony. That's not that's like the usual practice in most countries that other than this. Yeah, country. that's that's true. Like in like France, in you have to go country, to the town hall, don't you? I know in China you have to go and register your marriage before you have it, or mm. it's a separate process. Whereas in this country, if you get married in a religious ceremony in a Church of England church, and I don't know what other, I know some other church, other religions, it's the same thing. Mm. But it's all done there. It's yeah. all done and dusted, yeah. and you're legally married, and you're religiously married at the same time. Yeah. Speaking of marriages, Gemma, <laughs> can we get on to what was possibly the greatest episode 
of this whole, you know, however many we must have watched in the past five years, Raquel and Curly's wedding. And I, on my little notes here, where I sometimes put stars next to the ones that stand out, I put four stars next to this one. I don't think I'll put four stars next to either of these. And I remember, and it was a long time ago, it was like three, four months ago now, but both of us were on the edge of our seats during this episode. And this was the very first hour-long episode that Coronation Street had done. It had been um, organised for the 35th anniversary of Coronation Street. I remember watching it at the time, it was just as brilliant now as it as it was back then it's and it was just felt unsettling all the way through it was, didn't it yeah because it was it was kind of... of it was bizarre it was set over like four days and four nights all in the course of this this hour and then, and then they have the wedding day and you kind of it start so much happens because it starts off with Raquel um Raquel goes to bed with Des and then she kind of then but then the next morning and, and she thinks that at this point that she's kind of She's finally going to stick with Des because we'd already seen, you know, her going back and forth between him and Curly earlier on in the year in the previous year. But she thinks that she's finally been accepted by Des. But he sends her home like, yeah, I was only sleeping with you. That with you, that was all. Um, there's a there's she goes on has a bit of a cry with Betty, um, and then she has a scene with Maud, who basically says, yeah, that Curly's a nice chap after actually. So she goes and just proposes to him on the doorstep. Um, they keep it a secret and, and you can tell that she's she's only doing it because she feels that she has to and her heart's not in it. She 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 even says to Des, uh, to, to Curly, I think, we, we we need to keep this a secret so that nobody can have a chance to talk me out yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. Just showing that this romance, which I was, also, I was so invested in back in the mid-90s, it was all built upon, you know, Curly's infatuation with Raquel and her kind of feeling that she needed to settle for somebody who was just a steady, reliable, sensible guy. Well, look, can I just say, I don't know, I don't, like, I haven't seen all the episodes with Raquel in it, I don't know, but I would have thought that being as she was, a very attractive, very pretty and very traditional-minded young woman brought up to come of age during the mid-90s, perhaps would have had it drilled into her that you grow up, get married, have babies, and your yeah. husband will take care of you. And this was probably, like, the beginning of the end of that kind of generation of women being the norm. You know, mm. like, nowadays people have more of a mixed range of different ambitions about women do, about what they want their lives to look like. But it would certainly have been very normal for Raquel to have thought this. So really, she's just looking around, who's the one? Who's going to be the one? Well, she also had her ambitions of, you know, being a top model and everything, didn't she? But I think at this stage in her life, she realises she's maybe a bit too old for it. <laughs> well, she's um, over the age and, of 21. She's definitely past it. Yeah, but it was, it was <laughs> just so heartbreaking seeing them both blundering into this wedding that wasn't right for them. She goes and has a cry in the toilets beforehand, doesn't she and, and curly was. knows as well she he overhears somebody saying there's a girl that's crying her heart out in the toilets there but he goes through with it because this is what he's always well, he's wanted scared of losing her yeah and again he knows. because he'd already lost her a year before well he thinks that he's punching above his weight with raquel and that was always a bit of a joke with raquel and curly that he they they kind of like made him look even more ridiculous with his big coke bottle glasses and his silly hair mm. And then you have her, you know, made up and looking beautiful and being Miss Weatherfield and all this stuff. He's anxious about losing out on this dream woman because, you know, in his mind, it's how she looks is one of the most important things. And the fact she's sweet and and submissive. And then Raquel's worried that she's going to miss her chance to find a nice man. 
because she's seen what men can be like. Yeah. She's been taken advantage of. And she knows she's, that Curly wouldn't do that. Yeah. And these two people who, on paper perhaps, would work out fine, just not made for each other, meeting each other at the point where they're both ready to settle down. It's just like this kind of... It's like reverse Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? Mm. Where they're just not right for each other at all. But it was quite sweet <laughs> on the um, the QE2 VHS special that we saw where um, they kind of have a second wedding again, don't they? And I think they have a bit of a heart-to-heart and Curly realises that oh, kind of what's what's been going on and Ra- Raquel decides that, no, maybe this could work out. And so that that's all kind of quite sweet. But over the course of 1996, you see Raquel have an aromatherapy courses. She comes back a bit of a different person, doesn't she? She's got her hair cut, cut short, straight. She's a lot more sensible. She's not quite so ditzy as she used to be. And by the end of the year, she's kind of realised that I can do better than this. And she swans off to Kuala Lumpur, never to see Curly. Well, well never to see Curly again for quite a few years at least, but... I, I didn't really like what they did with Raquel in, in her final year. It was the the episode where she goes was um was so tragic because Cur- she she can't also she um she kind of Cur- Curly goes off to a Furman's course or something, doesn't he, with Eric and, and Raquel's left at home and he's like, you know, if if you're not there when I'll get when I get back I'll understand and she 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 irons his shirts for him, doesn't she? She uh, she goes and has a sad goodbye with Judy and then she disappears into the night. But this was, I think, really cleverly set up because you have Curly, who didn't ask Raquel, I don't remember this, if she did or not, is it all right if I go on this retreat for my business? Mm. He goes off because he's the breadwinner in this traditional relationship that they both found themselves in. He's the man, he's the one in charge. He goes off and he can do what he likes. But for his career and then she's at home and like her symbolically ironing the shirt which would be her for the next 40 years yeah at home while he's off twiddling her thumbs ironing his shirt or she could bugger off to Kuala Lumpur and be the head of a beautician's uh, operation over there experience a whole new world live on her own independently and live in her dreams. Yeah. And I think Why he, would you pick to stay at home and iron a shirt? He's realised he's letting her go because it transpires that she was... When she went to the interview for this job, she had taken her wedding ring off, hadn't she? And yeah. she and when they said, have you got any ties back at home? She's, she says no. And he finds this out about her. And she, he... he he can't. He's been thinking this probably for the whole of the past year when she's been with him. Like in that, the back of his mind. Yeah. What if? Or this is going to happen at some point. She's going to realise that she can do better than me. And because life is a you know just a series of failures for Curly and things going yeah. wrong for him, he's just like, well, this this is the latest in the line, so I will I'll let her I'll go. I'll deal with it. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, if if you want, if you, that's what you wanted out of life is to be the the what the woman at home who who irons the shirts and cooks the tea. Mm. that's that's fine too but that's not what she wanted and she didn't realise really until she was offered something different yeah because god knows if you gave me the choice if I get to stay at home and iron your shirts <laughs> and cook your tea and not have to have a job I'm going to you'd love it you'd take that straight away every you? single time I ain't got any Kuala Lumpur backup plans Michael this is it <laughs> <laughs> speaking of exits bets departure in 1995 what a a fiery exit Uh, and and end of eras that really was a massive yeah 
Turning um, point in Coronation Street. Yeah, that 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 the, the one where the, the few were before she goes, and that pals pals scene with Rita. That's another iconic so scene just... that you'd heard of, hadn't you? So the the backstory with this is that. Um, God, what even is it? She 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 wants to buy the Rovers. Yeah, and she wanted to use. Rita's yeah, because Newton money and Ridley are selling it up, aren't they? To, she was going to invest, and um, she wanted Rita to put the money in so that Beck could buy it and run it, and Rita would, you know, be the silent partner. And they were best friends for most of the time they were in Coronation Street because mm. they were very much birds of a feather. They were both kind of young and good-looking girls when they came into the show, um, unlucky in love and. Uh, sort of independent women who were trying to make their way without a man on their arm. And then, you know, life happened to both of them and kicked them in the face. But luckily, Rita kept getting men who died and gave her lots of money, <laughs> unlike Bet. So Bet ended up, at this, you know, similar age to Rita with nothing to her name, asked her friend for help. And Rita kept hearing from everybody, oh, I heard you're going to buy the Rovers with Bet. Oh, Re- Bet told me that you're going to by the rovers and she got her nose put out of joint and this is really the life story of rita and i find rita such an interesting character retrospectively going back on her life history here all she's ever had is people coming at her for cash mm. and all she's ever done is tell people no you know she's always she's always um seems to have like <laughs> unless you're sally every so often she'll just randomly gift people ridiculous sums of money to try to win them over but most of the time she's just no 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 it's all my cash i need it for cardigans <laughs> and then Beck comes in to sort of talk to rita and rita's like sorry i've decided i've changed my mind you i'm not getting it and this was literally her only chance Beck's only chance because the only other person who she knew in her life who had any money was vicky and vicky wouldn't buy her the rovers no. and the same for she the same reason that investment. rita didn't want to was because they were both worried that there was no money in it mm. yeah because i think alf was the one that had said to rita you need to think why why hasn't Beck you know why can't she get a why, 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 yeah and why hasn't she got a load of savings from all this profits that she's apparently getting at the rovers yeah um very but, suspicious really if you think about it but but i feel i felt so bad for bet because rita had certainly led her to believe that she was gonna she was gonna buy into it and bet had like gone off to the brewery hadn't she and she comes back all you know full of smiles and everything about with all these grand plans about these two girls best friends running it together and um yeah that that scene where um where rita says no and, uh, I hope we and, can still be friends. Yeah, I hope we can still be pals. And Bet's like, pals, pals, you don't know the meaning of the word. It was so kind of, so raw and brilliantly acted by by Julie and uh, and Barbara. And it was really sad because that was the end of their friendship and they've still not had the Never chance to up. make up, have they? Not even off screen, not even, we've not even had in passing reference. No. And we know that Julie Goodyear is still around. She is. There's still the chance. She had like an ill-fated return, as everybody knows. Yeah, we're about, we're a few years away from that. I do not know what the plans, whether there were any ever any plans for her to reconcile with Rita. Mm. But I really find it very interesting that yeah. all these years have passed since these characters had this very famous falling out, and nothing has been mentioned yeah. about it ever since. And and still, it finds it really funny as well that um, Jenny's buying the Rovers now. And Rita's her foster mum. And Rita's never said to her, oh, I had the chance to buy the Rovers once. Mm. It was the worst mistake I ever made. And turning that down, I can't believe Well, that. you never know. Yeah. We are... Because we have, we have Sharon turning up going, you ruined my wedding to, to Ian Bentley. How many people actually really remembered Sharon and Ian Bentley from 20 years back versus how many people remember this iconic scene between Rita and Bette where she says, pals, pals, 
You don't know the meaning of the word pals. That's way famous. Yeah. That's more famous than than the character of Sh- even Sharon to begin with. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, but I I did like Beth's final scenes where she kind of makes herself all up. She puts the keys on the bar, doesn't she? She's got a birdcage earring. She looks at herself in the mirror. Yeah. And then, then interestingly, it's Don who comes in and shares her final scene, isn't it? Who they hadn't had a whole lot to do with each other. They'd, they'd spent the night together once. But um, yeah, he he kind of whisks her away. Oh, I can't was it. He the, 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 he's, the, says a cabbie that says you hope you'll find the sun and and she's like oh but they all do it I can't I, I'm paraphrasing here really badly but it reminded me quite a lot of Elsie's final scenes where she's like ah now there's a question before she yeah. disappears off into the night so that that was quite a satisfying ending but um a definite a yet another death knell for classic Corrie in inverted commas um. But she comes back, as you said, and um, yeah. maybe that's maybe that's not so good. We'll we'll see when that happens in a few years' time. What well, so? We I think we're getting close to the end I of this. We've I'm, been going for two, over two hours. Uh, we we haven't talked at all, and I think it's worth mentioning the 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 other big story of the time was um Sav- Sally, Sally and Kevin and their split mm. because a, a lot had been has been said in interviews about Brian Park coming in and saying right who's the who's the the longest term couple who's the happiest couple I'm going to split them up yeah. and we got to see that and actually that was a really brilliant story and I, I, I didn't like Natalie the first time I watched it I still didn't really like her at this time but that actual story where um Kevin's sneaking around and Sally finds out with the moment that she when she goes round to Natalie's house and is banging on her door going Kevin yeah great and he's there with his top off and everything really really looking out the window going oh yeah. god she's here that and it, it made you hate kevin didn't it yeah um and and when sally goes around to natalie's house a few weeks later and turns the taps on and floods her house it's like yeah revenge writes whore on the uh yeah on the mirror that was that was fantastic um it's just a shame that after that the story it, it, it wasn't so good i mean kevin comes back to stay with sally at christmas after Sophie and Rosie charm him with their two-man nativity play, but then after that, it just gets a bit, a bit's a bit grimy with Sally going off with Chris Collins and it Danny. It just evolved into a series of random um, yeah other bunk ups, really, didn't it? Affairs and stuff that I wasn't bothered about. And yeah, I lost track of what she was doing, and she was with Greg Kelly. Oh god, yeah, the Greg and, Kelly story. And he turned didn't out to like be him. evil. And what did he do? He, Raped. He, no, um, rape. no, he well, he held he had held, held some people hostage, didn't he? He held Sally hostage. We saw for a bit. Oh yeah, he wasn't interested in the girls. Yeah, that's... and the police were there. No, he 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 he, 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 he her hostage for a bit in New Year, and then he comes back again, like in April, and and does it all over again. But yeah, it, that that all got a bit a bit dark and grimy. I didn't particularly like that. I, I it makes me hope that they don't go down the same route with Fizz and have her have a whole string of boyfriends now that. Yeah. Because we were definitely on Sally's side for the beginning of the affair, but then by the end of the night is it's like you're both as bad as each other really, Sally and Kevin. Yeah. And it was a shame because they were a really great couple up until that point. Maybe maybe they were a bit boring, I don't know. One thing we didn't talk about we kind of alluded to it but we didn't really go into it, was Toya's brush with um almost being molested when she went to London and she uh knocked on the door of a guy she thought was her dad and it turned out he was actually just a lucky paedophile who <laughs> who managed to convince her that she was his 
he was her dad yeah. and she stayed over and he was just perving over her and then he kidnapped her when he realised that she had worked out that he wasn't really her dad mm. and took her to the forest and then she had to run away and um, got chased around and Toya um, Les and uh, Janice. Janice were desperately trying to find her and couldn't find her anywhere and that was really dramatic and um yeah, that was cool. Poignant. The, the one thing I was I mentioned to you about Janice earlier. Talk about iconic outfits. Obviously, we, this has been the the birth of Haley's red coat we've seen in these years. Yeah. But that that p- pinky purpley zigzag top that Janice was wearing, I'd forgotten just how how much she wore that. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, she used to wear that all the time. That was quite funny. Um, what else have we got? Boy, I'm just I'm just kind of scanning down the notes now, seeing if there's anything else that stands out. Right, other highlights for me, the episode, the bit with Reg Holdsworth's wig was quite funny, talking about the old classic carry-on um, sort of humour that Reg encapsulated but was no longer had a place in Coronation Street in the late 90s. I did love it when he went to get his wig and everyone was making fun of him. Curly was saying he was looking very rugged. And then there was oh. a silly scene where he has the wig hidden under the, um, what's it called, the little flap in your car? Wing, uh, what's it? Yeah, you know, where flap. the mirror is. And then, and then it ends up falling down on top of Maureen and they end up crashing. That was funny. Um, what else did we have? Any any other standouts for you? Oh, Alf getting his OBE at the palace. Oh, that was funny. Yeah. And Audrey... Audrey um, not going to keep her mouth shut Yeah, because it. Audrey's mad at Don, isn't she, on the drive up there. Don's taking them in the taxi and Don gets fed up of them bickering, so he drops them off at the side of the road. He, but then he takes at Alf, but leaves Audrey to get into this van with a with this truck driver woman and her dog and Audrey gets there and it's too late and she um, goes to the palace gates and she kind of yeah. grabs, there's this, um, there's this Asian tourist there, she grabs this binoculars around his yeah. neck, choking him and watches as um, he's there getting his OBE with, with Betty as his mayoress. That was a, that was a good episode. Um, um, I was going to say, we mentioned all these separately, but the, the episode where Deirdre gets released from prison mm. is also the same episode where Judy discovers that she's pregnant and baby Shannon dies. That yeah. all happened on the same episode. There were a episode. few episodes where lots of real, really great things happened together. Then there was the Betty's Hotshot saga with the with the horse. That was kind of, that was all right. Um, we had, oh, Tracy's wedding was a good one where she marries Robert, where we, where he always oh, called, he's was, called Robbie, wasn't that he? That was dramatic because I mean, we, we said that, we said that current Nick and 90s Nick don't feel like the same person, but Robert Preston in 1996 was even further apart and separated yeah. from Tristan Gemmell's uh, Robert, wasn't he? He was, a, he was another drip with, uh, with curtains. So he ends up disappearing on the morning of the wedding and... Um, Ken and is it Deirdre goes with him they spend most of the episode looking in dockyards yeah, trying to they, find him because he's been he, he's, they, his it stag a, stuck yeah. him in one of those um, container shipping containers yeah as a joke and then it, Tracy's there think, going no it's a fight he's going to be yeah. there she's Tracy's, there in a Doc Martens with her wedding dress isn't Tracy's she Tracy's actually right though it does turn out to be fine and he does end up just turning up out of nowhere yeah that, that was a good episode that was also the first time that we saw Blanche since the 70s or whenever it was Maggie Jones reprises yeah. the role and she's been on and off for the for the following three years and I think now she's back in 1999 she's back for the long haul so we're just about to go into the classic Blanche era basically which I'm looking forward to seeing as we uh, as we go through the 2000s um what else have we had uh anything else stand out for you nothing I think we, particularly I think we've kind of I we've think pretty we've much got there spoken about this more and we've spoken about any other era, maybe, but there's more things seem to have happened. Teresa the turkey. 
Classic. That was a good one. Over Christmas, that was one. Oh, there's another good quote here from the Deirdre and John story where she goes up to him, on, goes up to his doorstep and um, his wife is there and answers the door and she's like, who are you? This is on New Year's Eve, 1997. And Deirdre says, I'm the woman who doesn't exist and you're the other woman who doesn't exist. That's a brilliant line. Like, yeah. I get it. And, and she kind of, Deirdre goes off into the night because this is when she realises that John, who... She knew worked as a tie salesman and she kind of got over that, didn't she? She agrees to... Because well, yeah, John spins her a lie it about... Wasn't that he was a, he wasn't that he was a tie, tie salesman. It's that he said he was a pilot yeah. and he lied about it. Yeah, so Deirdre says... But then he says, oh, I just did it because I, don't, I want him to save face or whatever. So Deirdre accepts him. But yeah. then yeah, at the end of the year, he, she realises that he's got a wife and kids and um, oh, brilliant stuff. Um, Jackie Dobbs, we've talked a bit about already... Yeah, I mean, um, this was an era of, like, quite ambitious stories. A lot of Vera changes. and Jack and the Rovers we've not talked much about. I know, that was, like, that was... Cause, nice. You know, the, the being the landlord and landlady of the Rovers is one of the biggest jobs on Coronation Street. And this was the sort of beloved... This was, like, if the Ogdens were in charge. Yeah. Um, and, and I... They were a bit rubbish, but... It a massive but... impression on me as, as the... In charge of the Rovers, to be honest. No. Because, um... Alec was there. Yeah, he ends up coming back, doesn't he? He's sort one of the characters the that return. In the background. He's, a, he's such a conniving, nasty piece of work, isn't he? Yeah. He tries to get the rovers from under them. And um, we get to see that, was it Christmas 98, when um, Jack and Vera are holding fort in the upstairs in the rovers because Alec's trying to kick them out because he's managed to swindle them out of the rovers, basically. But then the, the street kind of rally round and Spider and Emily deliver them Christmas dinner up the up a ladder yeah. or something. Yeah, and then that was the last we saw of Alex. He, he bogs off with Vicky towards the end of that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoy Jack and Vera in the Rovers, but it, they they felt like they belonged there more than some of the more recent Rovers landladies and landlords, like Stella, Stella for example, and Toya and Peter. Yes, Jack and Vera are a bit hopeless because they just kind of, yeah, they did, they, they've landed themselves in with this you know, this business opportunity where they've just been, you know, so bef- white, uh, blue-collar workers for the whole of their lives. So before then, it, it was Annie and Jack, then it was Annie, then it was... Then it was Bet, and then it was Bet and, Bet and Alec. And then it was... Jack then it was Bet again. Yeah, then it was Jack and Vera. See, to me, I feel as though... And then after that, who was it? Natalie, who yeah. has actually made no impression whatsoever. That- I can't, it, See, it, after me, that it starts it starts snowballing I think I after that it was think, it was Mike and Dougie and Fred no I honestly think that Jack and Vera was the beginning of let's slap someone in there for a story mm. to me because Jack and Jack and Annie obviously were the originals Beth felt like she earned it yeah and then and then you suddenly get the novelty sort of cycle of who who can who who would the viewers like to see? Like it became the reward of being a popular character or mm. a way of making yeah, somebody that's popular. True. That's true. That's that's what that feels like to me. But who knows what anyone else would think? Yeah, I enjoyed them there. Um, yeah, that's about it, isn't it? I think so. Um, I'm just looking at. Yeah, I think we we we've seen a couple of other characters that we've seen a little bit of, like we saw Candice in one or two episodes Very just recently. She's a bit of a, a cow. She is a bit of a cow, isn't she? I think they soften her for a little bit. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of her um in two thousand as well as as well as Sarah Lou Two, so the Tina O'Brien one. Um we Dougie has arrived on the street, but we've not seen him yet, has he? Dougie right, Ferguson. Good. 
I'm glad because I don't know who you're talking about. Dougie Ferguson, you know who Dougie Ferguson is. Um, but we've also seen his son, haven't we? Tom Ferguson, who's another, uh, he's always working in the salon. Oh, yes. And okay. he was like, he made this no impression. This is the thing, a lot of the people just look really samey to me. And there was lots of samey hunks. a parade of like dull people who yeah. have no real purpose. Definitely. Do you remember that Sandy that came into the Rovers yeah. for about a week? That was when uh, Jack and Alec wanted to have a sexy barmaid. Uh, so, um, barmaid? Vera, well, a bar, bar staff. So Vera employs this this hunky blonde. Um, who else? Oh, someone else who's left that we haven't mentioned was uh, Fiona. She just kind of disappeared. She, she was just a bit boring and then left, really, wasn't she? I think she was a bit of a, a victim of the McDonald's not-so-exciting second half to the 90s. And then yeah. she got involved with that. Alan McKenna came along and he was again, not very nice character but I just wasn't interested in that um Denise left as well she didn't have the the best exit um yeah that's that's about it so um I I would say that I did quite enjoy this era there were definitely periods in it where it slowed down and I'm mostly thinking 96 but the Brian Parks main year the 97 to early 98 period was really exciting stuff and um and I think that he gave Coronation Street the shot in the arm that it really needed even if some of the consequences and the way that Cory was you know cast for and the storylines were plotted and everything afterwards were never quite the same as they were beforehand no I I, I enjoyed the period and um it was just fun being able to rewatch something that I watched when I was when I was a kid when I was a teenager and thinking I kind of remember this and I don't remember this at all Whereas you, for you, you said it, again, you definitely preferred some of the older yeah. eras, didn't you? But This was not my most favourite. But it was, did you enjoy at least being able to, I mean, as always, see some famous scenes in context? Yeah. Like with, um, you know, with, with Curly and Raquel and the, even like the trees of the turkey and everything, being able to know what the background was. Yeah, it's that, yeah. And, uh, and I suppose seeing whether we agreed with the fact that people were saying that Coronation Street was a very different place post-1997. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to experience that. Yeah. So I think we're after, ooh, nearly two and a half hours. We're pretty much done with this. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed our reminiscing of these past five years of Corrie that we have um, watched and enjoyed. Maybe it won't be too long before we're back for the... Uh, or so long before we're back with the first half of the 2000s, but we'll just have to see how it goes and then... And then we got up to 2010, then we're going to stop it. So, uh, Gemma, any final words? Because I realise I've been waffling on these past few minutes. Nope. Gemma is done. We're going we're gonna to have our tea now and um, enjoy the rest of our evening. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Do get in touch with us at conversationstreet at gmail.com if you've got any memories from the second half of the 90s that you'd like to share. Thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. Ta-ra! Bye! The music for this episode came from podcastthemes.com. Bye.